but anyway we're live so um hello everybody welcome to our 10th episode we've broken double digits and none other than having kickstar on as our special guest i think that's pretty fitting for our very first uh double digit episode you really miss the opportunity to say like as our as our next star or something yeah i probably should have yeah <laughs> damn what, let's just get it out of the way. In French, 10 is dix, D-I-X. So I wanted to try to make a pun off of, like, kicks on six, episode dix, but then everybody's just going to read it as kicks on six in episode dicks. Because nobody's going to know that D-I-X is, is 10 in French unless you're French. And then I felt like, okay, that's probably going to get lost in translation. I'm not going to do that. Yep. Probably for the best. So. Better safe than sorry. That's correct. Now, it's a little bit funny, though. I know you've done uh, a lot of background stories, Michael, about like who you are and how you got here. But let's pretend that you've never done one before. And let's ask you, what made you get into Rainbow Six and how did you get your start in our scene? What made me get into Rainbow Six? Uh, it was an FPS game that had just come out. And I, well, it hadn't come out. It was in beta. But I liked playing FPS games and I saw the game and i was like i'm gonna play that that's no, it that's it yep you i was saw. in beta i like yeah. playing i like playing all fps's i was just jumping from one to another at the time um really just experimenting with anything that i could get my hands on i happened to prior to be playing rainbow six i have to be playing a really terrible game called warface um which coincidentally had the same gunplay mechanics for like the most part um so when I came into Siege, like right off the cuff, I already knew how to play it because it was just the same thing. It's just ADS, shoot, ADS, shoot, but with like leaning and that's it. Um, but yeah, there's there's not really anything else to talk about. I just saw the game and I was like, I'm, I want to play that. What made you stick around after you tried it? Because just because you tried it doesn't mean you're going to like it. I was really good at it and it was satisfying to be good at and I noticed that there was a lot of depth there there were a lot of layers in siege and every any any pro player will tell you the same story um really with this sort of thing it's like you you kind of just pick up on the intrinsic value of siege when you first play it you can just kind of feel that this is this is that game and um i just had that same kind of thing as everybody else now when you uh when you start to get into it it turns out you're pretty good. Um, before you got into competitive Rainbow Six, had you ever played any other game at a top level, or was this a new frontier for you? No, uh, new frontier. I um, I had played well. I had played games at a top level. If you consider um, small fish, much smaller pond, top level. Uh, but I don't personally, uh, so I'd say no. I'd never had. This is New Frontiers. Um, I wouldn't say I'm pretty good. I mean, like, uh, at the time, back in the start, I think uh, when I was practicing every day, I was okay. But, like, you know, you stop practicing, and then it kind of just drops off. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. You were also uh, somebody who played at the beginning. Troy, so your expertise yeah. on this one is probably going to be better than mine, and you can speak the language of early Rainbow Six to I kids mean, better than I can. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar because when I first started playing, so I played like, I think a month after release. You played like right when the game came out, right, Kix? I was playing, I played the beta and then okay. like as the game came out, yeah. But I mean, the beta was only like a month or something, so. Yeah. I remember when I first started playing, like there was like a small competitive scene established. Like I mm-hmm. sucked at first, I sucked. I was like bronze, I think, when I first got placed. I was really bad. Um, but anyways, uh, I remember like watching streams and stuff. And actually, I think one of the first streams I watched was actually Necrox, a Mars stream. Mm-hmm. And that's like how I found out about the competitive scene is like I found about like I think it was like Fluffy's tournaments. They were like their community tournaments for nothing. Um, did you listen to your played. leader? <laughs> I did not. People, uh, people just played them for bragging rights, though. And then, like, I remember that Amar had that team. It was Mythic. And then Kix was on the other Mythic team. Mm-hmm. It was, like, a second division. One was... I forget I forget what they were called. I think it was, like, Kraken and Hydra. I don't remember which. It was Kraken. Was that yours? Or well, it wasn't mine. So it was just, like, the it was like the B team. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I remember the two of those. But, yeah, I, I remember. And I remember you... You were like, you were nasty at the start of the game. I remember because I remember playing. I remember watching and I remember playing against you. And like, it, it was noticeable because most people couldn't shoot and you could actually shoot, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, that, that, was, that was one of the big things. Like, no one really knew like the game extensively at the time, right? Like, people knew like small things here and there. So, like, if you could really shoot, it definitely set you apart, especially at the start. Obviously, if you had more game knowledge, it would help, too. But, like, there was only, like, so much game knowledge you could have at the time. Like, everyone was kind of a everyone was kind of a noob. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, I remember that team. And I remember it all. I remember all the mix-ups of, like, I think you, you went to, like, the main roster. And then I think you were... The main roster of Hydra, and then you were no longer on, and you joined what became Orbit, which I ended up joining. And a lot of people don't know I actually teamed with Kicks um, for I think it was just a season. Yeah, one season. About a season. Yeah. Um, and then I left the team with Young, and then shortly after you became a caster. I think it was like that that same season, right after, right like after a couple play days. Yeah, I played like two, three matches in season three, and then I dipped out and started casting. I um at the at the start of before the season started because I didn't want to I didn't want to leave in the middle of the season. After mm-hmm. you guys left, before the season started, I told my team because I I wasn't really the thing that was so different between the end of the first season and the end of the second season was after the first season we were like. We are we're already practicing. We were like getting ready for the next season. We were like, we're gonna do better. We're gonna do better. After season two, and then you guys left, nobody really wanted to do anything. It kind of felt like we stagnated. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was other there were other problems too. So I just I I just said before the season started, I said, guys, please replace me. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, Well, we need you for the three man rule. So I'm like, okay, I will play one match and then I'm leaving. And and that kind of like got per- turned into two matches, and then they kept pushing it. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen. I'll play. I'll play out the season for you. Uh, but if if anything anything happens, if if I did, if I have to deal with one little ounce of bull, that I'm leaving. 
Mm-hmm. And then it was one scrim. Um, we were on Clubhouse and several pounds of bull, and I just left. Um, yeah. At, and at the time, in the in the immediate, my my plan was I'll just stream until I can find another team. I'll figure out where I go. Um, and that's it. Yeah. What was it like teaming yeah. with each other? I mean, okay, so two questions. First, <clears throat> you spent a season together, and Troy's already smiling. So what was it like teaming together? And what was it like just teaming at that time in Rainbow Six in comparison to where you are now? Is that a question for me or Troy? For both. It's both. For both. You want to go first? Um, we were not good to each other or for each other. Uh, yeah. And we were quiet. There was, I think, a level of uncertainty for all people back then. Um, there was a level of unknowing. Um, Troy put it best when on the, earlier in the intro where he was talking about how people didn't really know the game in and out. And we were all the same back in the start. We didn't know. Um, so, like, the uncertainty and I think the, you know, the lack of depth I don't know. Uh, it it was a weird time. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. It was a, it was a different time in the game. Uh, like roles were very simple. It was like just a couple. Like you would you just mains an operator or like two right. operators. It wasn't like no one like played like a bunch of them for the most part. Um. Well, there wasn't yeah. a lot of operators at the time, right? And if you well, go back yeah. and rewatch, it yeah. was like. It seemed like every attack was Sledge, Ash, you know, Twitch, Thermite, Thatcher. There was there was like a lot of different things. And then also like no operator bands, right? So yeah, like Thatcher and Thermite. They, it, it's a lot easier to open walls, but I will say people didn't know how to deal with bandit tricking as well back then. So that that was a bit different. There was no Zofia to, to, to stun him, stuff like that. Um, also, shotguns were extremely overpowered. That was... Uh, <laughs> That was a big part of the game. It was like usually like on every everything you did, like there was just a spaz twelve or a super ninety in the way that you had to deal with. Um so that that was a a part big part of it. But yeah, overall, I mean wasn't the best time on that team. <laughs> I don't I mean it it wasn't even anyone in particular though. Like I I don't think I worked well with Basically, I feel like the only one I worked really well with on the team was Young. I mean, that's why we left. Um, there was a lot of conflict, and I think also just there was, like, differing... Like, there was... I don't know. There was, like, a conflict for leadership. Like, also, I, I wasn't, like... I would just join the team, right? So I was, like, not the leader of the team. And I think I didn't like how things were run. And it wasn't really like I could just be like, all right, we got to fucking change this. And also, like, I, I don't think I even had the confidence in myself at the time to, to really say that. Yeah, It was more just I, like I would rather leave and like team with guys I know will listen to me and do that rather than try to change like three people that like they don't necessarily know. Like they they don't know me as well, so they don't they don't know like I guess what I'm capable of or like what like they they have no real reason to believe me or follow me right. in that sense. Um, but there is there was like a lot of problems in general, like even just outside of that, like 
Um, I mean, I, Snake at the time was not the best teammate, especially like towards K9 or Kicks. Snake was like really nice to me and Young. That's the funny thing is like, but he was toxic towards like Kicks and K9. Um, and then there's all sorts of conflict with that. Um, and then when Kane, when he was toxic towards K9, K9 would just disappear for three days and like not say a word. Um, so that was another problem. And then I would bite back. Yeah. Which caused more conflict because it just got in the way and muddied the waters. Yeah, there were, there was a yeah there was just there was a lot of issues across the board. Um, it was not a good team. Yeah, it wasn't a good mix of people. Mm. I think like I think it could have worked out like like for example like if Kicks was on a team with like me Young and like some of the other guys that were ended up on like that EG roster like I think that could have worked out or like. Even even like with with Snake or like I think only one of them. I think there was like too much conflict though. I I think long term, no matter what, K9 was not a good option because K9's like a very stubborn person. He's quiet and like he doesn't. Dude, you gotta respect your OGs, man. Any anyone that plays with K9 knows this. Like the guy doesn't move and he won't move. People wonder why there's so many calls on so many maps called K9, and yeah. it's it's just because that's where he played. And he wouldn't move. Like, all four of you could tell him he needed to move, and he wouldn't move. That's where he's playing. Like, you, you would literally, like, you would go, like, K9, you need to rotate. And he'd be like, fuck you, dog. Whatever, dog. <laughs> like, he would, that was it. He just wasn't moving. So, yeah. That, I mean, that was that was another problem. But, uh, all, all in all, though, like, we were pretty good. We were good at the game. And we yeah. made it work. I mean, like, we, we got second um, in the world at the time. I mean, yeah. So season, we were good. Season, at we almost went undefeated in North America. Yeah, one map. And off. actually, funny enough, how I got the spot on the team. This is another interesting story. I think that more people don't know how I got the spot on the team is Kicks. So they had their original roster. It was K9, Snake, Kicks, Young, and and Kush. Yes. Okay, Kush. 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 And they were kicking Kush. They were kicking Kush, so they needed one one player. But then also at the same time when they were like looking for one player, Kicks got like fair fight banned, but it was like it wasn't real. Yeah. It and like great. it was like a temporary scare. So they thought they might need two. Mm -hmm. So they tried out me and Mint, actually. Um Wild Candor. Yeah. And I actually I ended up getting the spot. But I actually remember like we were trying out and like I think it was either you or or Snake. But someone basically like was like giving the pitch that like basically I was like I was like a support player and like a strat guy and I wasn't gonna kill shit and like Mint was like a fragger and it was like we're deciding between the two. Wait, I, that someone was laying that out for you? Yes, out snake. <laughs> um, I I didn't I didn't want and nor did I try to see take at any point a leadership position in that team because. The team that I was playing on prior, Team Mythic, I I did, and mm -hmm. it uh it just got in the way. Like the I I was sick of the conflicting interests. On on that team, I just wanted to play the role that I was assigned. That was it. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. someone was like telling you stuff like you you're gonna be this and you're gonna be that, that was a snake. Anyways, Kicks the leader. I could see that long ago. 
I mean, I, when I started casting, and this is a topic that we'll get to eventually, because surprise, we're going to be talking about casting at some point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kix took a leadership role, I think, in the casting duo as well. And I still think he does. I still think he takes a leadership role across the board. Um, so it's it's funny to me because I wasn't really immersed in Rainbow Six back then. You know, the first season I remember watching was the regular season before Gamescom. So it would have been like... Probably would have been like May or June 2017 would have been the first time I watched Pro League. And I'll never forget the first match. The first match I ever cast or I ever watched. Uh, it was on Border and it was like, I'm trying to remember what it is. I might mess up some of the details. But it was like on Border and they were out on Archives Balcony. And there was a mirror window on like the Africa wall looking into Archives. And it had a bandit mm-hmm. battery on the other side of it. And the attackers were a Habana and a Thatcher. And I just remember, uh, I think it was Bloodbath, said something along the lines of like, now this mirror window is going to be really hard to be taken care of because of the bandit battery behind it. And, you know, they'd really benefit from having a Thatcher. And you're literally spectating the Thatcher. And I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was the very first match I ever watched. And I was like, you're literally looking at the Thatcher. Like, what do you like? And it's a common mistake, but I just remember I was like, this is my intro. Okay, great. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about where you look back at the game now, because both of you obviously have a, a good vantage point and both of you played at the beginning when everything was kind of the wild west. And I, I'm the one, the one statement that we hear a lot is that people who were pros in year one aren't real pros. What are your, before we dive too deeper into the conversation, what's your immediate reaction upon hearing that? Is there any validity to it? Most of them, yes. I mean, yeah. I think it depends, though. Like, I think a lot of them, there's, like, some that probably could could have continued to be fine. There's some that, yeah, like, they were going to get weeded out, like, as better talent came along. But I think it's, like, hit or miss. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm a pro, like, um, so I, I think, I think it just depends. Um, yeah, it was a different time. Not as many people play the game. Um, I think you got a lot more like playing as a team was like less effective just because not, no one was as good playing as a team. Right. Or like if, unless you were really good at it, like youngest, when we lost in season two to youngest, like that was the first team that played like really, really well as a team. That was like the first time it really happened. I feel like before that it was like a lot of individual plays and and stuff like that. And they actually kind of brought real strategy to the table. And I think that kind of changed a lot and started to separate teams. And that's when I think people started to get weeded out. But I mean, for a while, there's like some pros that couldn't really hang, I guess. Um, I don't know. That's that's hard to say. That's a I I don't really know what to say about that comment just cuz like there there's still pros like there's pros sometimes now and you're just like I don't know if that guy should be in pro league like <laughs> like people say that all the time. I Yeah. I So I think it, it was the same in year 1, but the most important distinction here is that yes, first of all, but also no as part as uh as Troy just said, um but the the most important distinction is 
I've been saying this for years. There's two different two different ways you could play this game. You could play as a a ranked player. You could play as a competitive player. And like those are those are two totally different viable like l paths you can take. And you'll learn a lot of really important tools down those paths. I think what Troy is alluding to there is that way back at the start, we were all basically just like what would be called the ranked players. We were, yeah. the teamwork was low. We were relying on our understanding of the game and our ability to frag. Um, and nowadays, the I think probably the most valuable asset you can have is not only a, a depth of knowledge uh, when it comes to strategy uh, and angles and just being immersed in it, you know, because it's always changing, being able to, to learn on the fly, but also um, being able to work as a team which is, uh, I think, a tool that was undervalued at the start and underutilized. And yeah, he's right. Youngtis was probably one of the one of the best ones early on. We When we played against them in the finals, I mean, there were a couple things going on there, but no matter what, how you look at it, we were just not ready. Yeah. Like, they played the game differently. They played the game as a team. And we, I mean, like, we kind of did, but, like, yeah, we were basically playing rank, and they were yeah. playing like as a complete team, like strat books, all that. Um, so it was it was a lot different. And but yes, we also before that event, like so when Young and I decided that we were going to leave that team, it was decided before that event. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of messed up that whole event. And we it found was, out at the airport. <laughs> yeah, it was found out beforehand. Why does this? Why is this happening to like every team? So unfortunately, it had to happen that way if we wanted to leave because the qualifiers for the next season of Pro League were played during that event. What? Yes. That so what? So we needed we needed them to play the qualifiers while we were playing the event. They played with BC and Jarvis subbing in. Right. And they played at the event and then we played and then we left and joined after, but like it had to, it, it kind of sucked. It did. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. Ugh. Um, because the, the reason why I raised that question was because I mean, I've gone back and I've rewatched old VODs and I did that when I started getting into casting and to understand like the history of the teams and the matches and to be able to quote them, especially when I think they were really relevant uh, at the time in 2018, uh, you know, because here I am, I'm about to be casting the first Invitational, or, well, my first Invitational, second one, and I realize I don't really know the body of work for Pro League up to that point, so I, I was diving in, and I just, I, every now and then I'll go back and I'll rewatch them, and it's just like, it, it doesn't look like Rainbow Six, it's so weird to watch, um, mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's really simple, uh, you know, people like, like Kick said, it, you, like both of you said, you know, it's like playing ranked. You'd literally just have, like, the Ash just run in and just kill three people. A, a totally unimpeded. The only thing you'd have to get through is, like, maybe the three-hit barbed wire. Yeah. Like, that's it. And if you could clear that out, Ash just sprints in and then three people are done. That's like, okay. Um, Because I do think that there's some... The, it's it's kind of swung the other way. And and I know that both of you have, have different mindsets on this. So the next topic, I guess, to, to really get into is how the game has changed... And the direction it's taken, because you go back to when both of you were, were originally playing way back in the day around that orbit era. And it's like there's not there's really not much utility you need to deal with. And yeah. now 
I think a lot of people could say there's too much utility to deal with. So what's the happy medium? What's the sweet spot here? Um, you want to take that one? I mean, I feel like it's less than we currently have to deal with, but more than they had to. I feel like, I mean, I think the shields are a bad thing. Like, I think Maestro Evil Eyes are okay. Because it's like, it's just vision. You agree, you Get Michael. rid of it, whatever. Like, I think that's fine. I think, yeah, the deployable shields. I hate those shield ideas. changes, man. I, I don't. The soon the soon to be Malusi uh, Banshees. I don't like, know why they changed the shields, man. I hate uh, them. I mean, we could talk about the shields. We could also talk about Mirror. I'll be real with you. I think that anything that gives you like a position that just cannot be thwarted, if not by utility, is too much. The way I, I think the the guiding light phrase that I always use is utility that influences the flow of the round, not utility that dictates the flow of the round. That's that's my preference, and lots of it, sure, but I just don't like it when there's a hard stop. I don't think Mira is a hard stop. I think it was initially for teams that didn't know how to deal with her. I don't think that's the case anymore. Like I, I don't, I can't think of a map or a situation anymore where I could run into a Mira window and then I tell my team I don't know what to do. Mira's not even that good, really. I mean, she's well, for most positions. She's weren't you just mentioning Mira though? I was talking about yeah, the the, the pieces of utility that uh, present hard stops. Certainly, like Mira's like shields. Sure, I don't like them. That doesn't mean that they they need they need to not exist anymore. I think well, he was I saying that the they, th he doesn't like the theory. He doesn't necessarily mean that I, it's I, too powerful. I don't I like see. shields, but they don't have to go. I don't like Blackbeard, but they don't have to remove him. You yeah, know, but nobody like, likes Blackbeard. No, that's not true. Zeronic has a tattoo on his hand. Yeah, well, everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> he just likes Blackbeard. I mean, <laughs> maybe he just likes the art. Um, I for me, for me, like if it's if we're talking about like perfect worlds. Uh, I, um, I don't, I don't like Mira. I think that Mira is a band-aid to a different problem. I feel like she's a solution to something that didn't need to be an issue, uh, which was the defenders having trouble stopping the attack. And, you know, I mean, you look far enough back and we had equal optics and effectively equal, equal guns on both sides for a while. You know, when the, when it was... ACOGs on the SMG 11 and Bandit and Jaeger. That was a different time because the defense and the attack could be, both play on the same playing field. And like, no, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's a like a pro. I'm not saying that that should be like that. I, I in fact, I think very differently. I remember when they told me that they were going to be removing the ACOG from uh, from Jaeger. It was at some dinner in Poland. And it took me like a few months to come to terms with that. But once I did, I realized, no, it's a toxic playstyle. It's, you know, it shouldn't exist. There's it's too much. And, you know, they removed it. And then they needed to compensate in other ways, in other, in not necessarily relating specifically to the ACOG removal, but they needed to compensate whether it be due to the uh, attacker operators that you're adding in or just the thing that's, things that they've been doing to defense. So they shift towards the more utility side. So that's that's fine. I think utility's fine. I think that the way they've worked utility into dictating the flow of the round, I don't like that, but I'll live with it. It's Siege. What are you going to do?
makes sense. I mean, I I think the main issue is Wamai. I don't think it like if it was just Jaeger, none of this utility would really be as much of a problem just because like you'd be able to clear it without as much of a hassle. Like the fact that you need three different people throwing flashbangs at something, that's three different people like risking their life to try to clear something. Um and like that that's not like sometimes teams will put like two ADSs and then a bunch of discs in one spot, right? And then it's an ADS somewhere else. Like that way, at least if you want to commit to like fully protecting something, like you need to commit all three ADSs. And I mean, if Thatcher's up or Twitch or whatever, like there's better ways to deal with it then. Um, yeah, I think what my is like the big issue with it. Uh, just the combination with Jaeger, I think is too strong. Uh, and I mean, you'll, you'll see that like when teams ban a Jaeger or my, like it doesn't, the game plays fine. It, it like, it looks fine. It's not like stalled out. People just chucking flashbangs over and over. Um, yeah, I think the utility is fine. It's just the matter of protecting it. And like, you can just play around it. Um, I think that becomes a problem. What match was it? Um, kicks that we casted. Who was it? I think it was DZ. Was it DZ? They banned Jaeger. DZ Sonic. Sonic's banned Jaeger on console. Yeah, that's right. That was the match. Uh, a lot more enjoyable to watch. It didn't seem... It was faster paced. I mean, console is kind of a freak show map right now. Uh, a, a lot of NA teams kind of play it like a kill house, and that's fine. Um, but I will say, only having to worry about one or the other, it's, it's nice. It's just uh, from a casting perspective, and this is what this is where kicks. I'm going to ask you to take off your your player streamer hat and put on your caster hat, but don't mess up your hair. Um, but this is where there are certain metas that we've obviously very much enjoyed casting, and there are probably more metas that we haven't. Um, this meta is fine, I think, to cast. It's it's not really hard, and I don't know how much of this he's going to agree with me. It's actually relatively easy to cast because a lot of it is is very routine, you know, like you because of the way that a lot of defensive setups work, teams either do one of two things. They either all push from the same side or they all try to go in their own way. And then the latter doesn't always tend to work. Um, I don't know. I just I I find it's kind of slow. I know that we're in the 22nd meta, but it's like, I, I don't mind casting it. I just don't think it's exciting from a spectator standpoint. And I think if, if Rainbow Six is going to be a good esport, we already have a problem with being exciting, given how much downtime we have. And I think this meta only makes that worse. I don't know if, I don't know if Kix will agree. Um, so are we asking as a spectator or as a caster? You're a caster, but also, also spectator. This is kind of. Okay. Weave them um, into each other. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so as a caster, um, it depends on the spectator. If we're seeing everything that happens, then it's fine. Uh, the issue is it's very hard for the spectator to catch everything when you're in the 22nd meta because you're either doing a top-down, which some people see as a cop-out, or you're going to just miraculously be on the right person sometimes. If you don't have a deep depth of understanding, then it's hard to, to know who that right person is. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, as a caster, depending on what happens there, uh, this is either fine or not fun to cast. 
Um, if I'm casting the last 20 seconds of a round and it's a 5v5 and there's about to be a collapse and I don't see anything because we're moving from one to another to another and I'm like, okay, I think they're, I think they're executing through the blue bar and main lobby and you get in fragments of information and that's, you know, mechanically it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's different. Um, and usually what you do is you'll just try to, instead of casting the round, you'll try to like weave the story of the round. There's less shot yeah. casting, more just, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to assume what's happening. Um, when it comes to as a spectator, uh, you know, it's exciting, I guess. You get those team fights. Um, but honestly, I I don't know. It's it's just more siege. You know, the, the really the I think it puts more like pressure on the players because all of the things that they used to do in the span of like 30 seconds or a minute, they do now in the span of like 10 seconds. Um, you know, when you're rushing in, there's a lot more sprinting in those last few seconds and a lot less of your gun up. And it it, it can make smart players look foolish at times. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And I think uh in general as Siege has developed like yeah, like you mentioned there's things that used to take a long time to do that teams do quicker now just because they've been playing for so long. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you look, like Parker mentioned, the early days of Siege, attacking was still difficult just because nobody could roam clear for shit. Like, nobody could. Just because mm. they weren't good as a team. And, like, How do you drone for someone? Yeah, like, people didn't know, like, the ideal way to clear a map. Now people understand that. I mean, for the most part. I was going to say, I watch some teams that don't know how. Okay, but for the most part, like the best teams, they know. Uh, but like even before, even the best teams, like they sometimes it would just it would be bad. Um, and like it wouldn't even be like an actual room setup or anything. It'd be just a guy running around and they just couldn't kill him, right? Um, whereas like now, usually like a roamer has some sort of utility with them or reinforcements or whatever. Like they they have help or there's usually two of them. Um, all sorts of stuff like that, but. Yeah, I'm not, as far as watching the game, I mean, yeah, you guys probably understand it better. I watch the game, I think, in, like, a different light than other people. Like, it's always entertaining to me, The regardless of, uh, regardless of the meta. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's some matches that suck. Like, like, sometimes if there's bad teams playing against, or, like, a bad team playing against a good team, and the good team's just smoking them, like, it's not... It's not fun to watch. But there are sometimes as a caster where you're like halfway through like a match when it was best of ones or it would be like mm-hmm. you're halfway through a best of three and it's just like it's so lopsided and all you're thinking is like, please just end this. And then the worst yeah. thing, the worst thing as a caster is when you're in a best of three and the first map finishes and then the team that wins is up like five, one or six, one on yeah. map two. And you're like, you're like, all right, this match has been absolute shit. It's been they awful to watch. At least it's over. And then they just bring it back. And it goes to a third map, and you're dying inside the entire time. And then exactly the team, what match you're thinking of right the now. The team that sh- that was about to win in the in the second map then goes on to win in the third map. Yeah. And it's like, but it, the problem is, is that the match has been so sloppy and so shitty that it's not even like an exciting comeback. It's mm-hmm. just like, it, it's just like this is prolonging everybody's like Sonics suffering versus united sorry sounds like sonics versus united this season i have no idea what you're talking about 
Yeah, I'm not going to talk about I Mac. literally, I felt like that watching that match, though. It was like the first map blowout. And I was like, and then I started watching the second map. And I'm like, Sonic's going to win. It's yeah. like, this is, there's no point in even watching this. And then they lost that map. And I was like, okay, well, that was ridiculous. And then the last map, they just blew them out again. Like, okay, that was like the most, it was an annoying match because it, it went the distance, but it wasn't close. Like, it wasn't actually close. It didn't feel like it. Um, but yeah. So. To be fair, that wasn't actually the match I was thinking of. Uh, it was a LATAM no. match, like a couple seasons back when we still had best of threes. I can't remember. It was one of the, it was one of the bottom tier LATAM teams like three seasons ago. Because that was back when LATAM was like, the top four were the top four, and the bottom four were like the bottom four. And mm. you would watch like you'd watch Red Devils. Versus, you've seen that more than me so yeah you'd watch red devils versus ints and it would just be like tooth extraction simulator it would not be a fun match and you'd and then they'd they'd start off a map and they'd ban like thermite and then the other team would ban hibana and you're just like this is hell this is hell so it was that was the one i was thinking of in particular and and okay kicks can remember we had some latam days where it's just like they'd have tropical storms and like it would knock out all the internet and we'd have to stall for like 40 minutes yeah back when i guess i can kind of talk about this now uh but back when we were working with uh esl there were different admins yeah in the latam scene and i think they were working with a different rule book because we would have like a fair fairness to the teams they should get to play but we would have 45 minute downtime <laughs> where one team can't connect because yeah. their power is out and and they wouldn't forfeit and i'm i'm on the one hand i'm glad that they got to uh to play because competitive integrity i think dictates that you know we wait the 45 minutes or we wait the hour on the other hand it would very much disrupt the rest of the team's plans uh for that day and it would uh, it would also just generally like we would it was always awkward to figure out it's like okay are we gonna are we gonna talk for thirty minutes or are we gonna like break for thirty minutes and when do we bring or it back? Or a mix of then, both. Or a mix of both. We often <laughs> did a mix of both. Yeah, we would we would bring it back and be like, hey guys, so we're gonna be waiting for a while. They don't have power. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so what do you have for breakfast? Like it, there, uh, yeah. The the Latin America. Uh, let's let let me take a step back just to kind of go through this. So when we're doing NA and EU. There is almost always an admin either in the studio or in Poland watching. This is was. Was. This was this was back during the ESL days. So Sierra would be in the studio often. Uh if it was NA, not always there. He was on NA hours. Uh BK would often be on EU hours, but I mean that man was so overworked that it was just like he was all over the place. Um right. But it was if there was ever an issue with NA or EU, typically what would happen is they'd have like a group chat. They'd have like a WhatsApp or a Skype or something along those lines. And if there wasn't an admin on site, which was decently rare, if there wasn't an admin on site, they'd just like type it in the Skype and be like, hey, blah, blah. And then whoever would be watching would be in it and would say like, yeah, 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 like rehost or no, 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 like keep playing, etc. The problem was, is that when we did the same with the Latin America guys, they would oftentimes take a fair amount of time to respond. 
So for example, we'd be sitting there and the countdown timer would be on for LATAM and it would be at like two minutes. And then we'd hear over production, like we're ready. We're, we're a hundred we're under 120 seconds away from going live. And we'd hear like, Hey, so we just got word from the admins that apparently one of the team houses is without power. Uh, so we're not, we're going to extend the countdown timer. And we're like, okay, for how long? And he's like, I don't know. We might actually have to go live. We're awaiting admin call. And then we could await an admin call for like five minutes. And it's like, it's so frustrating because you just sit there and you don't know. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, the Latin America admins were like extremely lenient. I, they I would rehost for anything ruler. like, and the teams, the teams could be like 25 minutes late. Nobody would get in trouble. They'd never cancel matches. Like somebody could disconnect like four times and they'd still keep playing. If you remember, I got in yeah. trouble that one time in the in the SSG Noble match, I think it was, because earlier in the day, FaZe and Liquid had like three or four rehosts. Mm-hmm. But the rule book says you're only allowed one. So I was just like, well, they the admins in Latin America had already sent president, had set president earlier today. They they did like three rehosts or something like that. So I'll just do the same for SSG Noble. And then it turns out like that's actually not the case, and they broke the rules to allow the multiple rehosts. And I'm just like, consistency would be great. Consistency would be really cool. So the, and like Michael said, for competitive integrity, sure. But it was just, it was frustrating because like NA and EU would be under like different rules and LATAM would be often. We, we have seen, and we did see uh, through the ESL period, we saw a lot of forfeits in NA, EU, like that happened because teams couldn't show up because the power was out or a player wasn't able to make it. They didn't have a sub. But, and, I, and I'm sure it did happen, I think, once or twice in the Latin region as well. But I, I, I just know, I just remember so vividly every time there was like a, there was a rehost. And it was more often because, again, it would be power going out or internet going out. Yeah. And that seemed fairly common. Like you said, you know, sometimes it storms. I mean, I've seen, you know, flash storms in, in Brazil before. Uh, in the few times I've been there, like they're real as heck. And it's not something the teams can account for. Our but last just, day in Rio was like a tropical storm. Yeah, <laughs> like tree shaking downpour. And I, I remember all the Brazilians were like, what are you talking about? This is normal. <laughs> and I'm like, it feels like at any moment a flood is just going to come and wipe the right. city out. And they're like, this is just a normal storm. And I'm like, I don't understand. This is this is insane. <laughs> but it, it, it does. It was a very different time back then. It was it was it was strange to work with. And I, I do. I don't know this, but I really think they must have been working with a different rule book with the way that it ended up working out back then. That or the teams were lenient. You know, and the yeah. one and the one thing that wasn't the one thing that wasn't told when the SSG Noble thing happened, and I mean Lycan had later admitted to it, was that when I called for the second rehost for that SSG Noble game, Lycan immediately protested and he's like, That's against the rules. Like in, in theory, SSG could have just very easily said, like, yeah, you know, let's do another rehost. Why not? Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in the DG DZ matchup that was happening as well. That at the exact same time, DG was having some significant internet issues and DZ let them have like two or three rehosts. They didn't care. Yeah. So it could have just been that, you know, maybe liquid and phase were like, yeah, yeah, yeah just keep rehosting. It's fine. Well, we'll get this match done. Whereas, you know, in, in my particular case, Lycan was like, no, these are the rules. Free dubs. Free dubs. Free dubs. Yep. So I'll pass those up. I said, take them. Yep. I mean, I can't, I can't really fault them. And that was, we had that one. Um, I mean, we talked about, what was it? The, the C9, the C9 rogue game where it was because cloud nines cloud nine as an org had booked an early flight for their team to DreamHack Valencia. I think it was. Yeah. 
And yeah. Cloud9 was like, we can't play our Wednesday match because we're we're flying to Spain. And ESL was like, that's not our problem. Why did your org book your flight so far in advance? Book your flight for Thursday like every other team. And then they're like, well, we want to reschedule. And Rogue said no. And then everybody got mad at Rogue. And it's like, why are you getting mad at Rogue? Like the Cloud9, Cloud9, the org booked flights on the day of a fucking pro league match. That was ridiculous. I couldn't believe that. I was like, of course, if I'm Rogue, I'm being like, they did what? No, fuck no. I'm not rescheduling. I'm taking that W. Like, that's not my fault. Get a travel agent. Like, yeah. If if there's, if there's ever a, if the game if a competitive scene ever presents you with a free win yeah, and there's it. no repercussions other than how the community might see you, then yeah, take it. It's a competitive yeah. game. You take your wins where you can get them. Use that fuel, put it in the tank for the next match. You know, there's, we, we were just earlier talking about how in Siege, you know, at, 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 the, at the competitive level, you, you have to constantly be learning new things. Yeah, and if you can use that leeway for a free win and use it somewhere else, then heck yeah, go for it. Yeah, I still couldn't believe that. Easily's in the chat right now, and he's just like, I took that dub and was laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I would be okay. too. Yeah. I bad. I just don't get it. Like every every NA team was flying out on on like either Wednesday evening or Thursday, depending on what time zone they were in. And it's like, but then like you've got you've got like C9 flying on like Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. And it's like, what are you doing? You have a match to play. <laughs> you can't do yeah. that. It doesn't work that way. There's been a lot of traveling issues in the past, though, not exclusive to that particular one. I would have been so mad if I was on that team. Like, I don't I don't know exactly how it worked. Like, I'm, I'd imagine they went to book the flights and then the players were like, hey, we have a match on Wednesday. And then I guess C9 was like, well, these are the only flights you're going to get, which is fucking that's bad. Or nobody thought about it or everybody's like here or, are your flights and they're like, yo, sweet. And then they're like, oh, wait, we have a match today. I've done case, that before. And that's on the players as well. I mean, it's yeah, both. yeah, it's both. that's that's negligence on the on the person receiving the thing and not looking at it. Just trusting yeah. blindly. You can't do that. Yeah. All right. Now right. Uh, we've we've talked a little bit about the, the early days. Let's move into your your departure from playing. So you start casting and your story involving casting has been told so many times so i feel like I, I can just sum it up so that you don't have to basically you're streaming and panky comes into your chat and is like hey want to cast and you said yeah and yeah. that was basically it what was it like uh, what was it like basically abandoning playing to move to a new country i guess even though you technically have a uk passport i guess it's still a new continent um you know uh what what was that process like? Because I went through it too, and I want to hear how much ours align and how much ours ours separate. Um, so when I first started casting, it wasn't a career; it was just a thing to do in the interim. Because my initial plan, as stated earlier in the in the podcast, was I wanted to give up on this team. And then spend some time chilling, streaming, waiting for an, the next opportunity on the next team. Because at the time, I had a lot of stock as a player. Right. And I was fairly certain that I could find my path eventually. It, it just, like, I'll get there. You know, someone, uh, I'll approach some teams and ask some people, is like, can I play for you? And, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, that was my initial plan. But the the speed at which pinky came into the chat was really i think something that goes overlooked he came into my chat really soon after i had stopped playing 
Like he wanted, I left in the beginning, near the beginning, like after the second or third match in season three. And then like a couple matches later, I'm casting. Um, it was, it was a very, very short turnover. And it was a decision that needed to be made on the fly in the immediate. Um, now, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be a career. I didn't think I was going to be a caster for the rest of my life. I didn't think that was like the plan. I was just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it's something to do. You know, it pays. I may as well go for it. Um, and I, I did it. And I kept doing it. And eventually I got to a point where I had to decide. And, you know, we've we've talked about this a little bit. It was around the uh, the Paris Major yeah. where I finalized that I wanted to be a caster because yeah. I had an opportunity to do some other stuff. I've had a couple of opportunities through my career. Uh, people always ask me, is Kickstarter, Kickstarter, if you could go back to being a pro, would you? And the answer is, I well, you know, I guess we may as well just be, get it out there. I've, I've had chances and I'm still casting. This is true. Um, so you know that the the uh, I am where I am now. I think, and I think it's a, it's a different decision. I think a big part of the reason why I'm still casting, or probably I would say safely, the only reason I'm still casting right now is because of Parker. If I weren't able to find uh, a casting duo that I like to work with as much as I like to work with Parker, then I don't know that I would still be here. I think I'd probably I don't know be toiling in Challenger League or something right now. Be a rent freeze newest member. Maybe you could play on E United. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But, <laughs> but um, I. But I. It was just yeah. It was it was around the Paris Major where I made the final decision, and the thing that that kept me here was I didn't want to ditch Parker. It's true. People don't know how close the water. People don't know how close we came to not casting after the Paris Major. Yeah. Like people don't really know. Um, let's we'll get into that, but I want to go back in time to the whole Panky thing. So, uh, a couple questions for you: Were you and Panky like close? Had you really ever communicated? And then, what were the next steps? So he comes into your chat and he basically says, "Hey, do you want to cast?" Things had to move pretty quickly. So you say, "Yeah, yeah, I'll cast." What were your immediate next steps, and how quick of a turnaround was that? Are we talking days, hours, weeks? Uh, three, two, three days. He went, came into my chat. He was like, you want to cast? And I think it was on like a Tuesday or something. And then by the weekend, I was in Poland. Damn. Yeah. And then I casted the next week, starting on Monday. How was that transition? How did you find that? Terrible, terrible. I, you know, I, I there's always a learning path for each caster when they get started, right? And a lot of people start with a lot of the skills that they need. Like, I think Parker's already had a lot of the the casting skills that he needed when he started. Um, he learned them earlier in life through other means. Um, but for me, I, I wasn't very social. I wasn't very good at talking. Uh, I wasn't very eloquent. And the only the only thing I really had going for me was at the time I happened to have relevant information as a very recently professional player. I, I knew what I was talking about when it came to the pro scene at the time, of course. Um, you know, things change. But um, I didn't know how to get that out there. So the transition was rough. I, I got to give a lot of uh, gratitude towards Panky because at the very start, he was very helpful in picking up the slack. 
Um, we were a different kind of casting dynamic back then. It was more of the conventional shout caster analyst. Um, and we we didn't really do... It wasn't great siege casting. Um, Pinky's a great caster, but I was bad. I was I was dragging it down. I knew what I was trying to say. I was dragging it down. And the, the, the rigidity of the shout caster analyst dynamic was not very good for siege. It was something that I early on... I had to put in a lot of work to to push against, but that was later. At the very start, it yeah, I was bad at casting. That's it. Like that's pretty much the end of the story. It was, there's it took me a long time to learn it. Uh you didn't answer. How close were you with Panky? Was he a stranger? Oh. Or were you uh like I, I'd say like good friends, coworkers, you know. No, before that, like when he reached out to you. Oh, he didn't know me. So he just took a shot on you, despite not really knowing you. He just pops into your chat. Punji, Punji, and True Talent were gone at this point. Uh yeah, I, I think, think so. Technically, I think technically I came in to replace like True Talent or something. I think you they replaced Punji, or maybe Punji. I think well, you replaced I, yeah, Punji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punji, yeah, yeah. I replaced Punji. Those were the. Um, those were the. Those were the, the. The new frontier for Rainbow Six: Punji and Panky casting. Yeah. Um time ago. So you start to find your footing as a caster. Um, but in the back of your mind, you're still thinking, I'm just doing this to bide time until I can play. Yeah. How difficult that was... was that making that transition? Because if, if you're still thinking, I want to be a player, does that hold you back from fully investing in and growing into being a caster? Um, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I think that there were some concessions that I didn't make when I was still considering returning. Um, uh, I, I can't really say that any of them are, like, I, they're obvious to me right now. Like, there's nothing in particular where I'm going to point a finger, I was like, this was really hard, and I, I only got past it once I decided to commit. I think most of it was just certainty of self, you know, even to this day, I still question the decisions that I make. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, everyone's going to, to do that with something in their life. But um, for the most part, I am confident in where I am right now. Um, I think I, I don't think that I I don't think that I got anything more uh, after fully committing to the casting gig, though. I, I think it was just a realization of dedicated professionalism and i think the teamwork and the casting got better because i was more present i don't i wouldn't say that you weren't present um i what i would say is that when we first started casting together you were you you were like a player that was casting but then i think around the paris major when you finally made that ultimate decision no this is what i want to invest in that's when i think you went from player that's casting maybe not reluctantly but you went to i'm all in on casting and i don't think anybody here anybody that's watching or anybody that's interacted with you can doubt your commitment when you set your full mind to something it's impressive what you can accomplish and i think once around the paris major you said fuck it i'm not going back to playing i'm gonna i'm gonna be a caster i think you started burrowing into casting more than before and I think that that like curiosity and that persistence is what what really what really I think you're seeing as 
you know, you investing in casting. So, and I mean, I've, I've always thought you were a good caster. Even when, even when you said you were shit at the beginning with Panky, I still thought you were fun. So. Thanks. Um, so you're, you're casting with Panky. Um, you have that odd dynamic in Poland where Bloodbath, you and, and Panky are casting as three people. Uh, and then Emzo is working live events with Milos. Um, what happens when Panky leaves? How much of a heads up do you have? Because this is where the story is going to get real fun. And I know people are people are very eager to hear this part of the story. So Panky's going to leave. How much heads up do you have? And what are what are your immediate thoughts? And, and how does it kind of branch out from the from the time he tells you he's leaving to when he actually leaves, and then the immediate thereafter? So Panky, to his credit, had been hinting at the fact that he wanted to leave for like a half a year leading up to his departure he was not like explicitly i want to get out of here or anything like that but he was like there's a possibility there's a maybe you know there's a thought in my mind and so he was very he was very very forthright with his position on the whole thing and even after even when leaving he was very apologetic um he you know he he didn't want to just ditch me with um with bloodbath and you know just have fun um but that's where we got to um that's that's what happened um and i was i was i think you know i i can't blame panky for wanting to leave there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of reasons that you would want to leave in that uh situation um i think uh i think i'm the only i don't know how i, I lived there for about three and a half to four years you were and there, you were there like November, I think, I think you were there October, November, 2016. I showed up in September, 2017. So you were there almost a full year before me. Emzo was mm -hmm. out there too, right? But then he left and then came back. Yeah. And I lived in Poland. I just stayed there. Yeah. Um, because at the time I was a European citizen, but not anymore. <laughs> Thanks Brexit. Thanks Brexit. Um, Anyway, so the, yeah, it was, there were a lot of reasons to want to leave. I get why Pinky dipped out. Um, and he had other things going on too. Uh, when it comes to, I mean, do you want me to like jump forward or do you want me to just talk about that exit? Well, we can talk about his exit uh, and then the immediate, like what happened after that. Because for an entire, it was an entire season you were, it was just you and Bloodbath. Um, I, I remember mm-hmm so yeah just talk about the immediate so panky leaves yeah how so, close are you with bloodbath at this time because you had that rotating cast that was going on right so how close are you with bloodbath are you are you on like speaking terms how much experience had you had casting with him and what are your what are your thoughts on on working with him basically full-time until somebody gets an opportunity to to join the crew um so I, I think Bloodbath, of course, you know, he gets kind of a bad rap. Um, when the, the thing that I think was hardest uh, about the immediate transition is they actually ESL talked to us. They're like, OK, are you guys going to be OK with this? Is everything going to be fine? You're going to be able to just you two casting. Is that going to be enough and all that? Um, we were like, yeah, yeah, we can work together on it, blah, blah, blah. And I was excited, actually. I was kind of excited to to 
get because at the time I didn't know him very well. I was excited excited to get to know him better to like work together with him more personally. Um, because I thought there was potential for growth there. I thought there was potential for change. The the thing that was weird about um the transition though was that we we didn't really work on anything together. I tried. I you know. I'm not exactly uh, a social savant. I'm not exactly good at knowing when I'm saying something rude or if I'm being cordial or whatnot. Sometimes I mess that up. But I, I thought I tried to be very open. Uh, I, I wanted to have conversations about the casting and improve upon stuff, but it just never happened. Now, that might be uh, my fault for all I know. Uh, it's all kind of hazy, and you know, when you try to remember things this far back, it's all different than it actually happened. So keep that in mind. Right. I I thought I tried to I I thought I tried to like work on it together. We never really got to a point where we were actually working behind the scenes to improve our casting, and that I think was the biggest issue. It wasn't most of the other stuff. It was just like. If, if something is wrong in the cast, like just objectively wrong, like you were mentioning the Thatcher, right, Parker? If we're missing out on the operators and then talking about what operators should be there when they are there, if that kind of problem is arising and we're not talking about it to try and fix it, that's a problem. And yeah. I think that was that was the most crippling part of that dynamic. When we went into casting together, we weren't cooperating to solve issues that were woefully apparent in the cast. Mr. Canadian. Yeah. As a player, and as somebody who had consumed a fair number of VODs up until this point, Kix has now provided his perspective as being a caster during the, the era of the pank into the Blood Star. Mm-hmm. As somebody who is quite outspoken and as somebody who I'm sure watched no shortage of casts, from an outside perspective, what was your read on that entire situation in the casting at the time? Um, so actually, I enjoyed Kicks and Panky as a duo. That was like the only duo I enjoyed at the time, though. I will say, generally speaking, this is something that I should just throw out there. Generally speaking... I mute VODs a lot. I mute the stream a lot. Um, or, I mean, sometimes I'll leave it on, but also, like, if I leave it on, a lot of the time I won't even pay attention to it. Like, I'll be, like, talking to my team or something. Like, my focus is, like, on the gameplay so I can, like, tune the casting out. Um, but I will say, generally, I enjoyed Kicks and Panky casting together. I thought Panky was solid just casting in general, and I thought Kicks had, like, Kicks obviously had a good understanding of the game at the time. I think also any like any shortcomings you had as a caster initially, like I could completely understand them because like I was a player and like I could only imagine like switching to casting it'd be difficult, right? Like 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 you said, you were figuring it out. Like, and I've I've frequently thought of that as like it'd be something hard to do. Like it's not it's not really easy or like supernatural for for someone to figure out. So. Um, like a lot, of, like any time that like you had a hiccup or something, like like stumbled or whatever, like it was like whatever, like you're transitioning. Um, right. And I will say, I definitely think you have 
come a long way. I again, I thought you were solid at the time, anyways, just because of like you you had game knowledge that people didn't have, right? So that set you apart. And I think now you kind of have a whole package in the sense. Um, and then yeah, and then Panky was gone. <laughs> Bloodbath came in. I mean, Bloodbath's not a good caster. Like it is what it is. He wasn't really a good caster. He yelled at everything. I just remember. I remember watching. It was the first Invitational, and I just he did remember Xbox him, with Emzo, right? I just remember him screaming at everything, and he puts down the barbed wire, and he's reinforcing the wall. Like it was. It was too much. Um, and then like smack the booty, mint. Like come on, man. So I hate that, man. I I'm not <sighs> like. Things have come a long way, though. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm glad. Like, there was, like, drama around it at the time when, obviously, when Kix no longer wanted to work with Bloodbath and brought you in. Dude, Amar, I will Amar say, just typed in chat, man, why did it have to be my booty? <laughs> Thanks, Necrox. <laughs> I don't even know Amar's in here. Amar just goes, man, why did it have to be my booty? The snack that <laughs> resonated around the world. <laughs> Uh, I you know I think the I'll be honest with you guys the the thing that bugged me and Parker can even attest to this is the thing that bugged me about the cut and I really don't want to turn this into a hating on bloodbath yeah because yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not necessary but it was just the inaccuracies um it was it was the uh, when we when 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 you're casting at the highest level you also have to hold yourself as a caster to the highest level of accuracy. I think for, for me, that's probably one of the most vital parts of being uh, a, a casting talent is when you say something, you know you're right. If you don't know, if you're unsure, don't don't guess. Yeah. Don't broach that topic. Don't just throw it out there. I think this, you know, it, it and... I think you the, can say, I think. You can speculate. You can speculate, yeah. sure, but mm. you can't. You can't say I think as as facts. You can never do that, and that yeah. was often done. It was it yes. was often done back then, and that that bugged me the most. The this, the 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 hype. Some people even say they liked. You know what what Troy was talking yeah. about. Some people. I'm not saying they're right. Some people say that they like that, and I feel okay, like sure, but I feel like people that enjoyed that maybe didn't. Like, I feel like understanding the game might have affected that, where, like... Understanding was, was secondary to hype. Yeah, mm. like, he would he would hype something up that didn't need to be hyped, and I think some people, like, maybe didn't notice that. Like, obviously, there was, there was some, like, obvious cases where, like, he's hyping something up that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. But yeah. in some cases, there's, like, something that he's hyping up, and a lot of people, like, would watch it, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, that was pretty, like, exciting. Like, they, they would kind of buy into it. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, I guess that's not a bad thing for the general like public for like the most of the community. So, yeah, like I guess that's a fair criticism. But I also think that, like you mentioned, then that's been a, always been a pet peeve of mine. And honestly, that's like one of the main reasons I end up muting casting is like when something is pre presented as fact when it, it is not. Like, right. They, when when a caster doesn't know something, and yeah, and they'll. They'll be like, well, this is what they're doing. And then I'll just be there literally. Like, I literally throw my hands in the air. I'm like, that is not what they're doing. 
Yeah. And we, we all get it wrong sometimes too. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. having been a caster now for as long as I have, I've had numerous moments where I get it wrong. And Siege is a deeply complicated game. So that's, yeah, that's going to happen. But it was the consistency of it. It was the reliability of inaccurate statements, I think. Agreed. That's what really yeah. was the nail in that coffin. And I want to say, actually, someone that's really good at this is actually Blue is really good at not like yeah. overstepping. That's Blue, Blue is very because... smart about what he talks about. Yes. He sticks to what is certain and he doesn't speculate. And I mean, to be fair, he's the play-by-play guy. That's... I mean, I I think that he and Stokes have more of a rigid dynamic, I would say, more of a traditional dynamic than Kix and I do to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, where, I mean, obviously that changes. Stokes does tend to do a lot of play-by-play and has seemingly been growing in how much play-by-play he's doing as of late, um, which has gotten him beat up quite a bit uh, on social media. Um, that. <laughs> sorry? I said I was going to comment on that. Um, he seems to... As Seth says, he seems to be talking to just hear his voice or something. They'll find their balance. Give them time. Yeah, they'll find yeah, their balance. And and it's like the one thing people need to realize about Sam is that whenever I've given Sam feedback, he's always received it well. Um, you know, he's a he's a young guy. He doesn't act like it. He's young. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like he. I hate to say it because there's going to be people that are going to be offended by it, but it's like dude grew up on a farm. You know, like he grew up on a farm. He's he's not like he didn't he went he went he finished high school. He didn't ever go to university from my understanding. Like casting is not his wheelhouse. He doesn't have any experience in that regard. So it's like he's coming in and I think he's doing a, a pretty good job for the fact that he was literally just pulled out of a, an amateur cast two years ago. And now he's working these huge events. I think that's great. And I think that unfortunately the way that people present feedback from time to time can be extremely unhelpful. Um, yeah. You know, there's, not that, not that players owe it to casters to teach them how to cast. Yeah. When that whole thing happened with Seth and, you know, a bunch of people were like, well, why didn't you just DM him it? Like in theory? Yeah. Seth knows that 90% of the, the outspokenness that South that Seth engages in doesn't need to be tweeted, but he does it because it's it's entertaining and it, it, it ends up driving attention. I, I mean, obviously, I take issue with the way that he tweeted about Sam, but I mean, it's his Twitter. He can use it however he wants. I know that when I was first coming up, I reached out to a lot of pros and Troy can even attest to this. I reached out to a lot of pros to ask questions and be like, hey, if I see something stupid, can you please let me know mm-hmm. so I can correct it? I don't know if Sam does that. I'm assuming he, he probably does. But I mean, I, pros don't owe it to us to teach us how to understand the game. That's our job. But I actually I actually yeah. don't know what drama we're talking about right now. Oh, Seth, Seth is just, super. Seth just tweeted a couple yeah. things like how Sam just talks to talk. That was it. Right. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Um. Just to touch on I, the bloodbath. I thing. thought we were casting about like talking about casters. It's my bad. I was like, there's a caster well, named Seth. <laughs> no, no, no. Um. Just to touch on the bloodbath thing, um, I will say this. I think that his hype is, I thought his hype was was quite good um, when placed appropriately. Yes. Yes. Um, and okay. I will and I will agree. There are times where it seemed like he was shouting just to shout. And I don't know if that was because he didn't know what was happening or if it's just because he thought it was, you know, whenever he got really hype, that's what everybody always commented on. 
you know, every Reddit thread, every Twitter thread, when he would stream on Twitch, people would be talking about how, you know, how exciting he makes matches. And I think he did, you know, when there were big moments and, you know, he casted with that hype voice he has, I think he could really heighten those moments. But I think a lot of times that was undone by him getting really excited over totally meaningless stuff happening that he's making it seem like it's a 10. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know if that goes back to maybe he just doesn't understand the game because I know that Kicks had some criticisms about his understanding of the game, and I think a lot of people did too. Um, but I think when he was when he was good, he was really good. The problem that I had with Bloodbath was that he was very rigid. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I only casted with him one time. And it was an EU broadcast. It was actually the match that Shaiko ended up getting banned for. Hilarious timing, by the way. Um, and we he and i cast it together and it was kind of off-putting to be honest with you like you know i got the job casting and like milos messaged me right away because milos was supposed to be a caster but then he had visa issues so he couldn't cast that season which is why emzo and i got brought out that season in the first place because we had to fill those spots and milos got hung up with visa issues and it was supposed to be milos bloodbath and kicks but then milos couldn't so i get brought out and it was like, it was just, it was kind of weird. You know, Kix goes out of his way. He meets me in the hotel my first night there. We go out, we get food. We go back to Kix's house. We do some VOD review. We do a practice VOD. Uh, we hang out. We're pals, etc. Milos goes out of his way to do the same thing the next day. He's super nice. He's messaging me, blah, blah. Like, and after my broadcast on Monday, after my broadcast on Monday, you know, like I'm getting messages from people in the scene. I got a message from you, Troy, just people being like, great to have you, you know, yada, yada, yada. I didn't get one of those from Bloodbath, and I knew that I would be casting with him on Wednesday for the EU show, or it was Thursday. I think it was Thursday at the time. And I went in, and I get to the office, and he's already there. He's sitting at the desk on his phone. And I walk into the studio, and I'm like, oh, hey, man. And he just kind of looks up, and he's like, oh, hi. He doesn't get up or anything like that. Literally just like, he's still looking at his phone, and he reaches over, and he like fist bumps me. And he's like, great to meet you, and then goes right back onto his phone. And I'm just sitting there like, this is a very weird first interaction that you wouldn't like, like a, Hey, how are you? And then just right back to it. And I was like, Oh, okay. I've been here for like three days. That's kind of weird. And then we sit down and we're talking about casting. And he's like, I really like how you and kicks have conversations. I think that's a big strength of yours. He goes, the only thing that I'll ask is that the final 30 seconds, you let me cast. And I was like, sure, whatever you want, man. And there were a couple times where I think nothing would be happening. And then it would all of a sudden start to ramp up and there'd be like 40 seconds left. And he literally just, he started casting like over me. Like when I was almost finished my sentence, he just jumped in and I'm like, really, man, like, come on. On the second Parker. Like, I'm not even kidding. And it was just, it was kind of jarring and it was like, it was fine. But I also found it kind of weird that he... Like, I get it. He's a play-by-play caster, but that inflexibility irritated me because this is my third Pro League broadcast ever. I'm not an analyst. I'm not a color guy. And I'm also the newer caster. And instead of like, instead of like try, like when Stokes and I casted for the first time at USN, I let Stokes do a lot of play-by-play because I know that despite him being an analyst, I know that he wanted to grow play-by-play. So when Stokes and I were casting at USN, I did a lot of color and analyst stuff. And I kind of stepped back and let Stokes take the floor because your job, in my opinion, your job as an experienced caster is to let the newer caster flourish, let them play to their strengths, let them grow, let them find their footing. And that's what I did with Sam. 
And when Flynn and I were casting for the first couple of times together, it did the same thing with Flynn. And I think you have a role and a responsibility. And that's what Kix did with me as well. Kix gave me lots of space for like the first couple of weeks and took over when need be when I was feeling uncertain. I just, I didn't really like that, that, you know, it was, it was very much the bloodbath show. Um, but other than that, I think he was fine. He seemed like a nice enough guy. Uh, and then a lot of people don't realize that the reason why he ended up leaving was just because there were, there were five casters for four spots. Now he did not get fired. Everybody likes to joke about the mega man thing. Did it play a part? Maybe it did, but at the end of the day, ESL needed four casters for the next season and onward. And Milo Shinemzo were a duo and Milo had gotten his visa and kicks. And I were a duo bloodbath just ended up being the odd man out. That was it. I also want to say for the record, like a lot of people will put, uh, I think there's a common misconception in the community that like, it's my fault that, uh, bloodbath's not working as a caster. Uh, there was that time where, and like, you know, it, it happened. There was a time where I publicly critiqued bloodbath's casting, um, on my stream when it was, it, it was very fresh. It was very raw at the time. It was a bad decision. Uh, and I learned a lesson from it. I didn't know I was ignorant. That's on me. Yeah. But moving moving from that, there's a, you know, that that being as popular as it was, that blowing up in the way that it did, there is a common misconception in the Rainbow Six community that I am responsible for getting Bloodbath fired. And I just want to say, like for the record, these decisions and I he wasn't fired, but these decisions are made way above my head. Oh, yeah. Way it's not something I have any influence on. So please like yeah. and I don't think saying it is going to change people's minds because if people were smart enough, they wouldn't say that you got him fired in the first place. That's yeah, my worry. I know, but I, I just want to get it out there. Yeah. What people don't seem to realize is that the only real way that you could have in any way, shape or form influenced him getting fired was by refusing to cast with him and finding a new partner because that's it. You know, if, if you're going by duos, if he doesn't have a duo, he's not going to get picked back up. But even then, that's still yeah. that's not on you. Like... If if tomorrow I was to go to face it and be like, I don't want to cast with kicks anymore. And then you went to face it and we're like, I don't want to cast with Intero anymore. We would have to find like a new duo and like somebody would eventually end up getting forced out due to contract issues because they're not going to carry like six casters. Right. And mm -hmm. and the thing with Bloodbath was it was just uh, unfortunately nobody really wanted to work with him. I mean, Milos and Emzo had established themselves as a duo. They really liked working together and they had done so at, what was it, three live events, two live events prior to that in, in both Gamescom and, and in Katowice. And doing well. And they did really well, you know, and they, yeah. they, they bounced off each other. I thought the casting was really good. I remember I was flying during Gamescom. It was the very first day um, of the, that was season five finals. Um, I was flying to New York and it was like 5.30 and I was sitting at Pearson Airport in Toronto and I had the game on and I just had it on my headphones and I was listening to Milos and Emzo and I was like, this is really great. And then on after the flight, the, the game was winding down because it was like noon or one o'clock or something or 11 o'clock local. You and Bloodbath came on and Bloodbath was just shouting. And I actually had to turn the cast off. I couldn't I couldn't do that. It was too loud for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just ended up being that uh, you know, Bloodbath was, it was, did, you know, it's musical chairs. There's four chairs and there's five people. Somebody's not getting one, right? And people, unfortunately, seem to think that you shoulder some blame for that. Nobody conspired to get rid of him. Nobody said get rid of him. Nothing. It's just you and I wanted to be a duo and we were well received by the community, I think. People enjoyed listening to us. 
I think we did well. And that was that. And then Milos and Enzo were the other ones. People need to realize that about casting is that you can be a great caster, but if you don't have a, if you don't have a duo, you are going to be in trouble when it comes to hiring and stuff like that. I would say, yeah, if you're like an aspiring caster, that yeah. getting a, getting a partner that you enjoy working with and have synergy with, that's, it's a big step. I mean, it's, you know, in the freelance market, it's not necessarily uh, a good thing, but you, you're, you idea, ideally, you don't want to be in the freelance market. Like that's a, that's a competitive, scary place. And you're only going to be doing very well there. If you're really the best at what you're trying to do at your particular angle, whether that be analyst desk, hosts, whatever, if you want to be in the freelance freelancer market, then you really have to be that top 0.1% to make a serious career out of it. Otherwise, my advice is make sure you you find somebody you want to work with and work with them. Try to build up something together. Yeah, having a duo is is absolutely is absolutely crucial. Um, so now that we've talked about this, let's go into uh, let's go into when things started to get a little bit sour between you two. Um, I mean, you had that the the clip that you referenced on your stream. You basically said that you took umbrage with the fact that bloodbath wanted to do color commentary and play-by-play -play, but he didn't want to give up play-by-play -play, which kind of shoved you into a box um yeah and that was the clip that happened and funny enough that clip actually happened while i was asleep in a hotel in kadavitsa the day before our yeah. very first match um and <clears throat> after that you know obviously things things don't go super well the question that i have now did you ever, with all the with all the questions that you had about his ability to see what was going on in the game and understand it and all that jazz, did you ever try to, or did you ever actually get to engage with him outside of work and be like, hey, let's sit down. Hey, so, you know, here's some feedback. Hey, do you have any feedback for me? Hey, like, I'd like to work on this. Was that ever a conversation that you two had? Parker, that's why I said it on the stream. And I talked about it earlier in the podcast, but I tried be cordial i tried really hard to have these conversations but after the like you talked about it just now earlier too where you you had been casting for you were there for three days and you come into the office and he gives you a fist bump that was the extent of the socialization that was the extent of the the conversation a fist bump hi let's get to work there was no and there was no actual work being done other than the casting itself here's here's something we could talk about for casters. Most of the work work as a caster happens outside of the cast. When you're casting, it's an application of your talent that you've cultivated over years. It's an application of your information that you've gathered leading up to this particular match. And it's a, it's a cultivation of all of the work that you have been putting in with your duo. That's what casting is. And all that work happens outside of the cast so if you're just coming in to cast and that's all you do is cast then you're not working you're just you're just there and you talk and the talk the talking is hard it dude my voice i have to take very special care of my throat and my vocal cords and stuff there's a lot of layers to that so the actual like you know the grunt work that part is that's it's a factor as well but all that other work that you're supposed to be doing as a caster all that other stuff just None of it. None of it. I tried. I feel like I put a really big effort in there. 
maybe it wasn't substantial enough, and that's on me. But at the same time, that's why that's why I was talking about it on my stream, man. Like that's why I like the the frustration boiled over. That wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. And yeah, I was ignorant to think that I could do that and get away with it or do it and have it be okay at all. Um, but the, the real issue was that it was just, I, the frustration would hit point where I was like, I, we're talking about this again, and that's incorrect. And why, why, why this, why that? And all the various little gripes with the casting. And then I can't talk to him because there's no, there's no way to do that. There's no, like, there, there's no way to have a conversation with him. It doesn't, that's not a thing. So it's, it just boiled over. That's all that was. It was, it was, it was, a, a, it was a drive to be better as not only a caster myself, but as a casting duo with no outlet, no way to talk about it with him. And I, I regret the way it ended up. I, I wish, I wish I had maybe just, you know, walked over to his apartment and knocked on his door and just shoved my face in his life. But the, the vibe that he gave off at the time, it didn't seem like he was going to accept that, if that makes sense. There was no, there was no, hey, yeah, come over to my apartment. You know, oh, let's talk about it. You know, let's have a, have a chat, see what's going on. There was none of that. And that, I think, was the greater issue. I, I stated it in the, in the lead-in when we, brought, we broached the bloodbath topic initially. I think that was the number one issue. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was just like he was hard to work with. Yeah, I mean, if someone if someone isn't willing to improve or like receive criticism or discuss or anything like that, like yeah, you just there's no real path forward, right? Um, so I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I've had I've had teammates like that before. Huh? Yeah, I mean, like I've had like situations like that before with teammates. Like this is like long ago. Like people that people in chat wouldn't even think of, but like, um, uh, like Necrox. Yeah, like I know it's Necrox. I know yeah, it's you, Amar. Necrox, Impossible yeah. to work with. I know I it's you, Amar. It, Necrox was the worst team. Amar and I, know I it's could you. not stand so toxic. each other, bro. I know yeah. it's you, Amar. He was so egotistical, too. Like, he would just throw everything on his teammates. All, all this guy time. wants to do is, is run the G36 and vape, dude. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Where's his fucking vape pen, bro? Dude, I don't even know if he's still here. Is he bro, here? He was here earlier. He That's why he said, "Why did it have to be my booty?" Yeah, yeah. he might have disappeared. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't the, even realize the, it was his. For the uninitiated, we're 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 joking. Uh, Amar yeah. or Necrox is possibly one of the chillest people. So nice, yes. Siege. Yeah, so nice. hands down, like one of my favorite teammates and like one of my best friends. Great guy. Yeah. Yes fantastic human i want him to come back same i want yeah i want him or i want ranger and i want nvk and i want mo to come back that's what i want needs well young is on rent free that rent free that rent free roster looks nasty by the way they are are nasty yeah and especially with doodle now as well and doodle doodle's a player that i've always you love cole you love cole phillips normally that's the thing too is i feel like normally i'm not very um like outside of my team, I don't really talk about like other players that much. Or like if I if I think another player is good, I usually don't say shit. I just kind of don't say anything. Um, I usually only talk when players I don't think are good, um, or if like I think they're getting overhyped. 
But I think Doodle's a really good player, and I, I'm happy to see him back. I was like, I was pestering him to come back. I really was. So I just miss when he used to go back. by AWD because then I could make jokes about like all wheel drive and stuff like that. Yeah. Now he just goes by Doodle. <laughs> now it's not as funny. I miss him. Well, I missed him. Now he's back. I'm happy he's back. I'm happy he's on the team with Young too. I, I think, like uh, Young. I was talking to Young. I, I messaged. Uh, I was messaging NVK a week or so ago as well. I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to have him back. I still yeah. think Young is like one of the, I think more more underrated players in North America. Um, Definitely. He's a rock of a player. That's what he, he's like a canine. Don't talk about like, his stature like that. Okay. I I I don't. He's like, I wouldn't compare you know, him to canine. Let me, let me hang on. Let me finish. Let me finish. This is important. He's like a canine, but like able to like change and to I make adjustments he's like, like a canine you, with legs what, what I think I, here's okay, look because there's the a thing, better there's a better comparison it's to okay. bosco i think sure yeah he's a yeah, lot yeah. like bosco he's like the two like of them bosco, i feel yeah. like they just they make the right decision okay yeah like you play fair. against them you I, play with them and they just they make the right choice but the reason that there was one merit to clarify my statement there was one merit that canine had and that's yes he wouldn't listen to you yes you couldn't make him change Yes, he would always play the same position every time. But when he played that position, he uh, usually won his fights, man. He usually did really well there. Like, I mean, I, I do remember there were many rounds that we won because K-9 would hold down the fort on where he was. And for me, Young, as a teammate, he was like someone who was capable of holding down the fort, always winning his fights, you know, always taking that job and being successful. But he, Young could do it anywhere. Anywhere you put him, you just put him there, and he's he's gonna he's gonna make it work. He's gonna take that job, and he's gonna tackle it. And he was very consistent in his in his success. And K nine had that same consistency, even though he had like he was like you know all the other stuff. That's that's what I was trying to get at there. I just think Young is a very consistent player. Yeah, you think, you I just think it's uh, fair to say that Young needs to be motivated though to unlock that potential. Definitely. I think he needs to be in the right environment. Like, yeah. And yeah. I think he's happy with how the environment is on the last dance now. Um, I think he was like happy and motivated on EG for a while, but I think it was a matter of like, we had the same team for so long and we did well. And then like, or then we started to fall down a bit and then we just kind of stagnated. And I think when we stagnated, he lost motivation. I, I mean, that like, that was part of why I left too. Like I didn't even have the motivation anymore. And I think that was a big problem. So, um, yeah, I, th I think that's a big thing. Um, he definitely needs the motivation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think he has it now. Um, so let's wrap up the caster talk, by the way, um, because I get, I'm going to get uncomfortable with this topic uh, because it's going to be partially about me. Because um, I feel like I feel like post 2017, it's I mean, I don't mean this to like demean you, but it's hard to talk about casting post 2017 involving you without it also involving me because, you know, we've been casting together. I don't know if people know that. So um, we've casted together like once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as Seth just said in the chat, oh, God, it's always me, 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 me within tarot. OK, well, thanks, Seth. Anyway, um, so. There were a couple questions about this, and I'm not, I promise you, I'm not asking this to pump my own tires, but this was asked a couple times in the questions for kicks segment, which is now the perfect time for me to do a shameless plug for all of you to join the discord. And if you have questions for kicks, submit them in the questions for kicks section. Um, 
the Discord link has now been spammed in, in the Twitch chat for everybody that's watching live. Apologies to the audio and video crew that will be watching it later. But um, a couple questions that were asked were like, why Intero? What, what led you to pick up Intero? And I mean, for people that are curious of our background story, just to get out of the way, uh, basically what happened was one day I was trying to put together a 10-man and I wanted a system to do it relatively easily. Uh, and Talon told me that Kix does one for his Pro 10s. You should reach out to him. So I just shot Kix a Discord DM uh, out of the blue. And I slid into his DMs. That's right. And Kix answered. And then we chatted for about, what was it, like three and a half hours? Something crazy the first time we spoke. Mm -hmm. You got me into the Pro 10s and you'd said, you know, like, oh, I've been wanting to do it for a while, but I just, I haven't had the time, you know, I need somebody to take over it, you know, what's your story, who are you, basically, and then you started talking to me about casting and all that jazz, and then towards the end of the conversation, before we finished it, you asked me something along the lines of, like, would you ever, would you ever want to cast Pro League? And I mean, I just said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in school right now, I'm in university. Well, at, at that point, I wasn't, I was enrolled, I was waiting for the fall to roll around. And I said, I mean, it's not, it's not an occupation. How foolish of me to say that. But I said, it's not something I want to do. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's a hobby. Maybe depends on the circumstances. And you're like, cool, because, you know, I'm, I hope it's fine that I say this. Basically what you said was, yeah, because I'd, I'd like to cast with somebody else. So, I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody. <laughs> and then, you know, we just kind of kept talking. But the, the question that was asked a lot was like, why me? What did you see in me? How was it, et cetera? Um, so I, okay. I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people are wondering about that one. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I think mostly it comes down to, um, kind of gut, but also it was objective. I, I wanted to know more about Parker when I first heard his name and it was, you know, around the, uh, Pro 10, so I started uh, doing some investigations. I started trying to figure out more uh, about him. And uh, I'll be honest, a, a big part of the reason why, as I'm sure some of you are able to just now piece together with that information, is he was proactive. He wanted to get involved. He started doing things to get involved. And not everyone does that. A lot of people... A lot of people don't. They just like they want things to happen for them and they they aren't sure how to make it happen and then stagnation ensues. But Parker was just trying to get put together ten minutes. He was just trying to, you know, get somewhere in in some degree and you know, he he happened to talk to the right people at the right time, I think, as a big part of it. But once I started looking more into him, uh started looking more into Parker, I listened to his very first cast, I think it was, or maybe it was his first one with Devin. It was the CCS one I sent you, yeah. So it would have been Emzo and I. Yeah. Uh, I listened I listened to that cast, and within the first, I'd say, five minutes, I just knew I wanted to cast with Parker. I think there's something uh, guttural, or kind of, um, you know, intuitive. Sexy. About, uh, intuitive, I think, is, is the word. It, we'll and about, sexy. Un, well, I'm trying to say understanding... What, who you want to cast with or if someone has the talent to cast i think it's an intuitive thing i think you have to kind of you have to be able to just pick up on that um and i i i want to say it was like the first sentence or two that parker was uh saying during his cast and i was like he's got the talent 
all he needs is the experience. And so uh, I just I just felt really good about it. I don't know. There was I, I wasn't really sure why. I just felt really good about it. And I've generally trusted my gut through my career. Um, so I started I, I started going to bat for Parker everywhere I could. Um, I tried really hard to get him involved. I I talked to uh, everyone I anyone I could get an ear of. I was like, I want to cast with him. I want to cast with him. I want to cast with him. But it was after it, you know, it was only after, of course, uh, Parker said that he was okay with trying it. Can't remember. It's all very fuzzy. This. I remember you, you. There was quite a bit of time at the beginning where you had you had posed the question to me as to whether or not I would move to Poland, and and at the beginning I kind of said no. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not upending my life to move to Poland. And then basically I said to you, are there any opportunities like stateside? <laughs> what a silly question that was. <laughs> you know, um, and you basically said no. You'd have to move to Poland if you want to do it. And at this point, I was like, I had a year left. On my degree that was going for urban and regional planning at this point was what I was supposed to start in September. Obviously didn't start it because, you know, this job came up. Um, but I was, I didn't want to move and I'd just come home from living abroad for, you know, two-ish years. So I, I kind of warmed to the idea I, because our first conversation was, I want to say like it was May or June. I think it was like June-ish. And then I kind of changed my mind around August where I thought, yeah, I do actually want to do this. Um, and Troy was actually there uh, at a very fateful play test, um, if I remember correctly, um, at UB Montreal um, that you were at, Michael. Um, and you showed the video. Hmm? Which video? Were you at I don't that? Think so. You might not have been at that playtest. I know Jarvis and Foxy were there. I know that for sure. I was, yeah, I don't think. I, I was don't there. think I ever did a playtest with Troy. I did. Yeah. So yeah, I thought I couldn't remember if Troy was there. I know Pojo, Foxy, and Jarvis were there. Um, because Foxy and I had been talking a lot because he was really close friends with the uh, the bittersweet guys, which actually is, is now the space station team. Um, and a lot of people were thinking around the time of excellence that as excellence was having its own turmoil, etc. Um, that Foxy might actually join that bittersweet team. And I was good friends with a couple of the BS guys, King Leo, Trippin, Chala. Um, and it, I don't know. I just, I was, I was talking to Foxy a lot at the time. And, and I remember hearing about that play test where you went, Michael, and you basically just played a, like a, you told me to send you a video or something of a bunch of clips. Can't remember what it was. You played it at the thing. I think I remember there hearing was, that it after, but like, I, yeah, I wasn't at that play test. There was, I, I know what you're talking about. I was yeah. in, I was in the Ubisoft office. It was a play test. Troy wasn't there. Um, I was with a couple of the other players. I showed clips of you casting to other players, and yeah. we all, we were all basically saying the same thing. We were like, "Whoa, dude, we should get him in there. Oh, he's this guy's great. Blah blah blah, blah blah blah." You know, and we were. Uh, and then as a unit, when we got to, I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about this because technically it was in Ubisoft's office, but as a unit, when we got to, uh, talk to Jeremy, who at the time was like really high up, you know, like esports and all that, I was like, I want to talk with, uh, at least I think this is what happened, man. This is all so hazy. I want to, I want to, I want to cast with this guy and I showed him the, your content. I showed him your stuff. It's like, I, I want to cast with him. I think that might've been. 
a big part of uh, like one of the big moments, but I don't really know. It's really, again, a lot of these decisions get made so far above my head. Yeah, Jeremy was like the top of esports for UB Montreal or something like that at the time, if I remember. He was great really guy. high up there. Yeah, Jeremy's a great guy. He's done a lot of I love of work. Jeremy. There's a lot of unsung heroes that we could start talking about right now. Yeah. Jeremy is one of them. Um, he's been he was such a big factor, and I think the in in our you know esports success early on, especially. Um, anyway, so I talked to I talked to him about it. I talked to a lot of other people about it. Uh, but yeah, we were we were just like taking. We took that one that, that video you sent me. It was the same one, I think, Parker. I sent you one you of sent. actually when I was I was boosted monkeys versus Empire Gaming Academy, which is that old team that Sweater and Hyper were on. I think Hyper was on it. I can't remember. It was like Sweater and Vane and. Yeah, I think Hyper Honestly, was on it. Most of the time, it would have it was it was just the like the players would sit and listen for like five ten minutes, and we would because I think everyone was hungry for you know casters. But most of the time, it was I think it just came down to the advocacy. No, hungry's um, a player for vitality. It it came down to the um like the all the like all the people who had heard your casting and um everybody who who was putting like putting it out there like I this guy should be able to cast i think that was it you just totally skate over my reference i'm i'm ignoring them how i'm hoping they'll go away and they're That's never a shitty joke man dude they're not going away who would uh, laugh at that you see what i deal with every day Troy? <laughs> what was the one that I mean, we did to be fair i crack a lot of shitty jokes on my team That's so. true. fair enough what was the people one people don't know that but yeah Oh, it was crazy or something. Or no, Stokes. You said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be stoked. And I said, no, Stokes is another caster. And then he lost it. He lost full. Um, I remember around that time, because a lot of people want to know like exactly what happened. Around that time, I had just been approved for a community caster for ESL to cast GoFours. Um, and I was casting a go for, and I got hosted by, like, I got hosted by Crazy, I got hosted by Skies, uh, Focons, when he used to be in the scene and was actually, like, a, a decently sized streamer as well. Um, there were, uh, there were quite a number of people, actually, that, uh, that, that helped me on that one. And, and at the time, I was talking to, actually, Emzo a fair bit, because Emzo was with CCS at the time, too. Um, and basically, Emzo was hoping to go back to Pro League. Uh, now that there were some spots opened up. But Milos, Bloodbath, and Kicks was supposed to be the rotation for Season 6 onwards. Then Milos has the visa issues, and he gets kind of doomed to purgatory in terms of casting, so he can't work. Um, so now they're back to Bloodbath and Kicks, and then it just becomes very obvious that these two are not going to cast with each other, so what do you do? You're going to need to bring new people in. Um... And at the time, Emzo and I were actually going to be casting Challenger League. So the, we were talking, uh, I think it was Vets. Vets was trying to coordinate with Emzo because Emzo was reapproved to cast NA Challenger League on his own channel. And Emzo had messaged me saying, do you want to cast it together? And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I think that'd be great. That'd be an amazing opportunity. Like, I was blown away. And he goes, okay, also there are some days where I can't cast, so it's just going to be you solo casting. And I was like, holy shit, like that's a lot of pressure. And then he goes, I'm reaching out to vets to make sure you can get approved for uh, Challenger League. And he's like, I'll let you know. I said, okay, cool. Anyway, hilariously, two days later, Daniel, our product manager, reaches out to me at 4 a.m. my time, which is 10 a.m. in Poland, which is this was after that disastrous cast, which was the when you had just flown back from the playtest, Michael. You remember? I don't know if you remember that one. You literally landed 
from Montreal, didn't sleep, and then had to cast like hours later. And yeah, you were I just that. you were you were a zombie. Mm -hmm. Um and I just remember you and Bloodbath were casting, and I was watching it, thinking to myself, like, you can just tell they they do not like each other one bit. And then right after that broadcast, Daniel reaches out to me and he's like, Hey, do you want to come cast in Poland? And I, I just kind of laughed. And it's like I said, it's 4 a.m. my time gamer hours, by the way. It's 4 a.m. here. And I'm like, guess I'm not going to sleep for a bit. And so I stayed up and we chatted a bunch. And then hilariously, Vets reaches out to Emzo and is like, yeah, Intero's approved to be a community caster on the day that I'm flying to Poland to go cast Pro League. And I was mm -hmm. like, so I can't really be a challenger league caster because I'm going to cast pro league. And then Emzo also ends up getting the job, like literally a day later and both of us end up going to Poland. So now nobody can cast challenger league. So that's, that's what ended up happening was Milos ended up casting it from home with Fabian. If you remember those scuffed as hell casts, which were hilarious at the time. Um, and yeah, just like you, Michael, mine was like, Daniel reached out to me on a Tuesday by Saturday. I was flying to Poland. <laughs> so it's I like wonder, things move real quick yeah i was about to say i wonder if it has to do with like the the nature of the of show business or if it's just you know that's how it worked out those times i don't know i think it's just that esl was chronically either they were understaffed or they were underfunded it's one of the two maybe they were well funded and they just didn't use it on staff or maybe they were under you know maybe they were underfunded and or they were overfunded. Who knows? But I found that ESL did a lot of things last minute um, just because that usually there was only one or two people that were working on a wide variety of things at the same time. And they just had so much they had to focus on. I, I know that uh, like I know that ESL got a lot of shit for a various amount of things. But the big problem that ESL had was that they didn't seem to have the right amount of people working on the product. They yeah, could have I, easily hired it. Like we had a, we had one guy who worked in the background whose name, obviously I'm not going to say because I don't think it's public. If they just had another one of him, I think 85% of the problems go away. Now, mind you, yeah. that's paying another person a full-time salary. I get it. That's not cheap. But if you have a second person to do basically that same job, uh, most of the problems go away that, that people, people saw. Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, like Parker, I have similar sentiments when it comes to ESL, and I guess we could talk about them for just a second here. Mm -hmm. um, the um, I think with what ESL had at their disposal, they worked some magic. Yeah, I will the, say the that. amount that they could do with what they had was. <sighs> yeah, I I think that uh, we couldn't have asked for more at the time, especially in, given that our scene was so fledgling, um, and. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I also think, and I do, I'm not going to name any specific scenarios, mm -hmm. but I will state as a blanket, there are many instances through ESL and Siege's history where ESL was un or incorrectly blamed for f certain problems yeah. that would arise in the community. I, I, and I couldn't tell you how many times, and again, I will not get specific. I couldn't tell you how many times I hear this person or that person or this person, or that person saying ESL, this ESL, that blah, blah, blah. And I know that they're wrong because I know what's happening, yeah. but I 
can't say anything about it. And yeah. I and I just it bugs me. And I'm not saying ESL is flawless. They've made a lot of mistakes. Everybody does, every organization does, but damn, they made less than people thought they did. I think it's I think it's kind of very similar and, and people are going to hate this. I think it's kind of similar to the LG EG situation with the NAL was that it's the blame doesn't fall squarely on one side. It's not that simple. And there were you know, there were a lot of times where I, you know, something would be made and ESL would just get absolutely destroyed for it. And it would be a Ubisoft decision and ESL would fight against it and ESL would be told no. But on the on the flip side, I know that there were times where ESL would do things without telling Ubisoft and Ubisoft would get blamed for something that happened in game. That was because an ESL admin overstepped or somebody higher up at ESL unilaterally decided something without actually going through Ubisoft. And now Ubisoft looks like a bunch of jag offs because ESL did something dumb. Right. So and, and there were so many times where both of those things happened. And then sometimes, honestly, it was a combination of both. Sometimes, you know, Ubisoft would say something and ESL would try their best to fix it or vice versa. And there would just be there would there'd be a problem. Right. But I think, honestly, a lot of it comes back to for ESL side. And this is obviously not absolving anybody or anything of blames of blame is that it, the uh, if there had just been one other person in ESL Polska doing this almost the same job as the guy that I know that you're also thinking of, Michael. Yeah. who was basically did everything. He, he didn't yeah. really have like a job title. He just did fucking everything. That's he, that's the funny thing. Yeah, because he because I, I remember asking him explicitly. What, what, what do you wait, do? What are you? Yeah, what do you yeah. do? And he's and he's kind of like, well, he's like assistant uh, product manager or something was like his official <laughs> title. But it's like that doesn't fucking mean anything. Like I manage the product <laughs> like and it's just he would he would arrange if I had a problem with my with my landlord, I'd call him. He would solve it. I had issues with, you know, I, a, a water pipe burst in my wall and I needed to get it fixed. He coordinated all of that. When it wasn't ready, he's the one who booked the hotel. He coordinated flights and logistics with other people in ESL Polska and then went through that. He quarterbacked all of my visa slash uh, my visa and residency issues with HR. He was the one that was my first line when I had issues with health and I couldn't make it to things when I was looking to book flights back home and all that and see if, you know, we could use the, the ESL's booking company. He was the guy that I went through. All my stuff is in the process of being shipped home from Poland. Guess who's quarterbacking that right now? He's doing all of that. Like it, it just if you just duplicated him, just find one person to do the other half of his job and everything gets fixed. I mean, we Bartosz right now who's we Bartosz right now. He was the social media guy, ice cold. He ran the ESL rainbow six account. He's literally backing it up in the chat right now. Basically just saying like just one other person to do this guy's job. And, and I, I can't, I cannot speak highly enough of this person in particular and all of my dealings with them and, and how much better they made our lives because they were always there for us and how much better they made the scene too. Cause they did a lot of shit that nobody ever sees. And Bartosz goes so far as to say that he's the unsung hero of CG Sports. And I don't know if that that's a big statement, but I'd say it's probably mostly correct. Well, I know Ben. Yeah. Damn. Well, there, there's his name. So I mean he's in the chat. That's yeah, and, I know. Yeah. yeah. And now I mean, it's out there. But I mean I mean it's fine. He he's at events. So I mean people know yeah. who he is. Well, I was I was gonna I was gonna ask who, but I just saw Ben in yeah. the chat. Yeah. If, if there the... were two Ben's Ben did a lot for the players too. Then, so yep. I'm impressed. Yes. So, so some clarification. Also, he did a lot for for everybody. 
but Ben, I, I did work before Ben, or work with ESL before Ben came around, and it was also good then, I will say. That's when Andrew was uh, in charge, yeah? My direct contact back then was somebody else, actually. I don't know if we're saying all the names right now, so I'm just going to Well, Andrew was, Andrew was Ben's job when I got there, and then Andrew, Andrew left, like, in my first month there, and then Ben took there, over. There was somebody, there was somebody else who worked um his name wasn't andrew there was somebody else who worked yeah uh ben's job and other jobs that was then, before andrew i remember i remember hearing he, about them but i didn't ever meet them but then he got no 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 you've, you've met this person he got uh he still worked with us he, he oh. got promoted and he he moved to he morphed to warsaw yeah, yeah yeah no no i know who you're talking about now okay you're talking about yeah. yeah when when i worked directly with him it was also fantastic but then back then that was the much smaller times too uh and then when ben got brought in there was more stuff to be done at that point. There was a lot more, a lot of more layers to it, and he did he did a lot. Uh, but those two working together, especially, did a lot of work. I think. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm really grateful for having them. And I really do think that just in general, if we can like just circle ESL as a whole and be like, they did way more than they had any right to be doing, given the resources they had available. I think yeah. that's that's a that's a really important sentiment to get across. I feel like a lot of people just really hate ESL and unright unjustly. Dude, dudes, I am not working for ESL right now. I can't go back to Poland. I have a whole apartment of stuff in Poland, and you know what they're doing? They are shipping two whole pallets of my garbage from Poland to America. So I have my stuff. Yeah, you can clap for Ben. And Ben's yeah, Ben's the one heading that up. Yeah, he is. He is. He is shipping all of my nonsense across an ocean, and like no, no sweat off my brow. Nothing. Yeah. He's putting the people to get that stuff into boxes. He's he's doing the shipping himself. You know, like that's all. That's ESL. I don't work for them anymore. I'm not working. We haven't. For them right our now. contract ended at midnight, technically twelve oh one June first. And he's still doing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what interaction you had with Ben, Troy, but I mean, he was, he didn't Not do, much, but... he didn't do player management. He usually did like logistics at events. Yeah. It, he used to be more involved in, with the players and yeah. then it transferred more to, to Philip. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, Philip and BK were like the two. And now BK was... does the same thing for face it apparently, which I found out about. But, but I haven't really my, seen my interaction record. with Ben initially was basically what Philip was doing, like booking, booking flights, yeah. all the coordination for players. But then, yeah, he at, at events like he I would see him there, but like he didn't interact with us as much anymore, but he used it. But yeah, I didn't know he did all that. The problem with somebody like Ben is that he never gets praise when things go well. Because yes. that's just his role, and and that's what I I, say, I don't think people shit when things went bad. Exactly, it's when shit breaks. He's he's the he's the whipping boy. Like yeah. he just gets singled out and just dumped on when things go badly, and he's the one left holding bags of shit, even when it's not his fault. But when things are going really well, and he knocks it out of the park, he never gets told thanks. So I think uh, I think he could have used more of that. Um, and yeah, like I mean. Ice Cold and now Sierra's in here too, and both of whom work directly with him, so they are perfectly capable of, of giving their thoughts. Too. 
Yeah. I mean, it was just in general, again, you know, I, I said it earlier, I'll repeat it again. I think ESL is was undervalued, underappreciated, and they did way more than they, they had any right to be doing. They weren't perfect, I, I obviously. Yeah, they they like, weren't, no. They no. were not perfect. But I, I think right now, and Face It's been excellent too. I've had, I've actually had zero complaints about Face It. I mean, I know that we're still yeah. in the early stages, and I know that it's also a lot easier to not have any complaints when you're working from home. Who knows if I'm in a studio setting, if it's right. going to be different. But right now, I have no complaints with Face It. Um, I suspect that Seth in the chat would probably disagree with me on that one. Um, and I know that Canadian's smiling and laughing right now. So. Yeah, that one time. Well, I'm just, I'm just laughing because, I mean, I feel like Seth could complain about anything. Like, yeah. if, if you've told Seth, like, to roast or complain about something, like, you'd find a way. Yeah. Well, the... That thing we were talking about, that's still fresh. So I think that's like, you know, th there were things like that through the ESL period as well. Um, yeah, you don't remember and... the quals till five in the morning? Right. That was insane. So... I feel like Disrupt played six games that night. Ooh, ooh, ooh. My very first Pro League match. This is a throwback. Mm -hmm. um, I played it at, I think, I want to say midnight 1 a.m. My very first Pro League match. We lost it because I couldn't give comms because back then I wasn't allowed to talk past 10 p.m. in my house. So I'm giving no comms. We're playing against we're playing against a cheater. Also, that was this was way was that back. chaos. Uh, this was VWS. Oh, it was clever. Yeah, nobody nobody remembers the clever period. Anyway, my first pro league match. We're playing against a cheater. This was the canine ace. Many people remember that. Oh, on, on cafe. Against, on cafe. Yeah. yeah. And I can't give comms. I was so angry, dude. I was so, dude, I, I, I'm not even kidding. How are you going to outcom right. a businessman? That guy's monitoring the stocks on his other monitor right. while he's fragging yeah. out. <laughs> he's got his stocks on his second monitor. And he's, he's, he's just killing us all. He's typing in the chat after he gets a frag on the canine. He's like, dude, my stock just went up 2%. I made $100 just now. Woo! <laughs> He's in the middle of a gunfight, just casually eyeing his second monitor, oh, watching man. for the rise. I, I remember Canadian's video on that. Oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good video, and it's such a throwback. Like people, when people ask me about old time siege, I'm like, oh, dude, you, you don't remember. And I link them your video, the, the video. People you did. don't know about that, man. Like we were, I remember at the time, like we had our team, and we were not doing like as well as we wanted to be doing. And VWS was doing well, and we were surprised because we didn't think they were a very good team at first. And we're like literally trying to figure out, we're like, why are they as good as they are? And I'm not even kidding. I used to literally preach to my teammates. I'd be like, do you see how clever plays? We need to play more like this guy. This guy plays fearless. I was like, you guys need, like, I was like preaching. I was like saying to Amar, I was like, you got to play like with this kind of confidence. And I was saying that to Amar, and this guy was fucking cheating. What? Like, he was like, I, I thought he was a good player at first, but then anyways, we're sitting there, we're trying to figure out like how to get better, and we see they're streaming scrims, which is like, the fuck are you doing? Yeah. They're streaming scrims, and the whole time, this guy's like, looking over the fucking side, looks back, kills a guy. Like, what? What about when he's coming back from the bathroom, and you can hear him calling from the other side of the room? Oh, yeah. Come back to the bathroom. They're right. uh, planning in kitchen, I believe. My favorite is when he's walking in the front door of Consulate, he doesn't shoot the default cam above the front door. He 
corners himself in the closet with the drop down. And then he, he like kills two people, one coming from piano, one coming from mid spiral. And he just like perfectly, perfectly lines up to kill both of them. The timing is flawless, but he's just crouch walking in. And oh, yeah. all the while he doesn't shoot default. I no, just... he'd walk, he'd walk around looking at his other monitor, hip firing. He wouldn't even be like ADS, and then he'd just go. Got one. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's too fucking good. And guys... the, the worst part about it is he would bitch at his teammates too. Yeah. Like they would do bad and he'd be like, What are you doing? And I'd be like, You're fucking cheating. Like, <laughs> like there's no way you have the fucking audacity to like complain about someone uh... else not getting a kill when you have to fucking cheat to get a kill. Yeah. Oh my god. Dude, uh, if you guys wanna know what we're talking about, uh just Google VWS dot clever and it's the YouTube video that that is just that's the title that is the YouTube video that's it Canadian did the voiceover for it <laughs> I we did dude do you Can remember I link in the chat I have the link yeah if you're a yeah. mod yeah you'd be both mods in my chat in there. I got it or he's choice got it okay but if, if if we could talk about that for a second because this is actually a fun aside there remember when we did that whole meeting where we yeah. had like all the pros in NA you signed Everyone. a letter. We all signed a letter. Yeah. And believe it or not, back then, that letter actually almost pushed NA to destruction. It was a it was a shano snap. Yeah, it, it almost it actually almost completely deleted the NA scene for CG Sports. That could have been the end right there. Okay, you have to explain that for the people watching though. So uh from my understanding, Ubisoft was not very happy about what happened there um it went all the way to the top there was uh, a deep conversation um and essentially after we signed that letter after any everyone in na signed that letter it it almost caused some serious issues with the na scene coming into questions like do we really care about these guys do we really want them to like you know be able to keep going and all that stuff and because the scene was fledgling back then you got to remember like we're not talking about like big numbers that are holding up the game and all that stuff um, we're, we're talking about like people that just wanted to play esports. Nobody was getting salaries, nothing like that. We were all just excited and happy to be there. Yeah. But that went all the way to the top and almost came crashing down on our heads. But luckily, it didn't. You would think that they would be more upset with the cheating in their they were. top level, or then the you know the pros boycotting. And and the problem and, was they couldn't prove it. I mean, boycotting works. Look at what just happened with League extremely proud of what just happened with league of legends uh you know the the lec the league european championship announced a partnership with what is it neom n-e-o-m n-e-o-m yeah uh it's like a, a saudi arabian esports city organization etc and of course you know plenty of issues with human rights in saudi arabia especially when you know and and they announce this partnership and it's like you have the fucking lec logo is the pride and transgender flag and you're announcing a partnership with a government entity that is known to kill homosexuals amidst all the other issues that saudi arabia has and it's like do you not understand anything at all like how the fuck are you gonna have a pride flag as your logo and you're announcing a partnership where that is not only outlawed but can result in state sanctioned murder 
unbelievable. I couldn't fucking believe it, honestly. And and every single LEC talent said that they refused to work on air until that deal was walked back. That's, they got to walk that, back, and, right? and they walk. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. It got walked back. Day. I cannot imagine how much money that cost them, and I cannot imagine how many heads are going to roll. But I have nothing but the greatest respect for those LEC talent. They all put their not just their not just their work in that role, but their whole careers in esports on the line. They put it all on the line for that. Because because whether it's right or wrong, if Riot calls your bluff and all of you are out jobs, that might be the end of your career in esports. And they put that on the line because that's how much they believed in it. That's how much they believed in their principles and integrity. And I got to say, it works. It works. Yes, clap for the LEC talent. Mm-hmm. clap for the LEC talent. I I was I was extremely proud and very impressed with all of them. So um but yeah, I mean you all of everybody banding together I think it can make a huge difference. And I mean imagine that, people unionize and then people have rights when that happens. Wow. Yeah. Not to not to get political here, but pineapple's good on pizza. Anyway. Um yeah. So uh that's almost destructive. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy to think. I mean, I like I kind of get it, and at the time, I think people need to, people also need to realize how small Rainbow Six was at the time. Most people for the first year thought that Rainbow Six was not going to live, right? And it's yeah. like if you go back and you look at the player numbers, the game didn't really grow that much for the first four seasons. It wasn't, I feel like, until Velvet Shell where the game actually started to take off. That's when I think the game's real upswing in popularity was. And then Operation Health obviously happened. And as much as we meme it, it did fix a lot of shit. It made the game an unplayable mess to a more playable mess that they've still since tinkered with. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Operation I mean, Health, I, I talked to them about it at length. And my understanding of Operation Health was they were reworking the internal code. Yeah, they, they were, were reworking porting it, it the back end. Yeah, they were porting the code or something like that. Because they, they wanted to make it more fixable. Because yeah, the yeah. the initial design of Siege was very bootstrap. And it was very, um, like, one guy would do this whole thing. This whole facet of the game would be done by just this one guy. And only yeah. this one guy knows how to mess with this stuff. So Because he did it. And Operation Health is... We're reworking everything so that it all works for everyone and mm-hmm. we can make changes as necessary. So a lot of people look at Operation Health and are like, oh, it, did, it didn't get all the fixes. It didn't get all the bugs. And it's like, well, no. But if you actually look, the mid-season reinforcement right after Operation Health fixed the vast majority of the immediate most crucial bugs at that time. And all subsequent updates were much more impactful than previous updates before Operation Health. That's yeah. what it was about. Yeah, I came a long way. Definitely, I remember year one. I, especially during that clever situation. I mean, I think Amar actually took a break from the game after that. I had to like convince him and MVK to like come back to play the game again because they like they didn't think it was going to carry on. They Do it again. It I didn't. I didn't even think it was gonna convince like, him again. Do it again. I mean, convince I'll him prob- again. I pr- I probably will try. He know, it's it's coming. He knows it's coming. He'll be back. I, I, but you right can't now, run I think he, Mar. He's, on, he's on the Valorant grind right now. I believe so. I hope that works for him. Dude, they introduced that new character that looks like Dokubi. 
and she has like a little turret and just everybody lost their fucking minds and i was just i was what's its name uh killjoy which is hilarious that it's called killjoy um it looks like dokubi whoa it looks exactly like dokubi it looks exactly like dokubi um with a yellow jacket yeah and it has like a little turret and like this a little alarm thing um and i just remember when it came out and just everybody was like you're fucking like you're kidding me (laughs) and i was like it only gets worse from here buckle up i wonder you know if if we if we're taking a sidetrack to devour i wonder how they're going to handle operator saturation with their game i think it'll be a a really interesting thing to watch because the way that siege has handled it has been a very interesting regardless of where you stand on it all and i think with uh these games that are influenced greatly by the heroes or the operators or what have you that they release yeah um how they choose to make them interact and how they choose to mitigate the oversaturation very important to their survival i think that the one thing when it comes to introducing operators that isn't really talked about and i mean rainbow six is kind of going through this now as well and i know that valorant is going to have it too the one good thing that overwatch did early was it designed classes so you know who is going to be doing damage, etc. And the MOBAs obviously are, are the blueprint to follow because you've got your tanks, you've got your DPSs, you've got your support, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's the same with Overwatch. Problem with Rainbow Six is that you can design operators like Blackbeard, like Amaru, like Nook, that are literally just fragging operators, but then you base the game around utility and then the fragging operators aren't good. They're not even good at fragging because you can't cut through the utility to do that job. So then you end up with operators that are good with utility that can frag like Buck, like Sledge, you know, like maybe Maverick if you need him in that role. Maybe Thatcher, Zofia is another one that you can use. But now we're in this bizarro world where Ash is a utility operator and Zofia and Ash are way too valuable to be losing early because you need them so badly. So it's like the one thing that Valorant I think needs to do is they need to have like their dedicated roles. And I know they do. I know that they do. They have like uh, every single one of their like characters or whatever has like a distinction as to what they're usually used for. But I think they need to really stick to that and flesh that out. And if things change as the game grows organically, then I think they need to be quick to to answer to that. Because I, the one thing that they have going for them is that you can pick any player, like any character on attack or defense. It doesn't matter. It's not like Rainbow Six where you can only use some on attack and only use some on defense. I think that'll make it relatively like easier to balance um i don't know what their schedule is like how often are they supposed to be releasing a new character do we know is it like every two it's like every two months or something like that every three months i don't even know if they've announced that or said that well i i mean maybe they'll just keep it dynamic they don't have to lock themselves in yeah necessarily i mean you can you can make one a month and then two months every two months apparently that's what i was gonna say is that every two months it'll come out at a slower pace because like i mean one weird thing about that game in the first place is like it has four maps like that's weird they like, need maps more. and, well, and nobody really likes them right only four maps. there's only one yeah, map like, that people like isn't that isn't that the case from what i've been reading online i think there might be two i know no one likes split there's only like that. Four is that the one is split maps. the one with three bomb sites no the one with three it. dude i played the one with three bomb sites and i honestly was like i'm too dumb to play this game yeah i i don't like the the maps very much i think that's probably one of my biggest deterrence when it comes to Valorant but at the same time I feel like that's something of course that will get worked on um, yeah yeah give them time I, I I'm most curious and, and Necrox and I were just talking about in the chat 
I'm most curious to see how they handle the utility and again the operator saturation. If they just keep making new ops, new ops, new ops every two months, that's a slower pace than Siege. But for the record, we did two ops every three months. That was our pace for yeah. a long time, and we're finally slowing it down. But I think a lot of people thought that was too much, though. It was, and it I is. think it was too much. It was too, far too much. It, what yeah. what had, ends up happening there is, and you know, like. You'll hear even I've I've talked to people who are like, well, the pros are going to be upset about it because, you know, they have to reinvent the wheel every three months. And well, yeah, first of all, yeah, it could that. Yeah, that's a layer to it. But also, that's not all of it. You're going to tire out your player base, man. Yeah. Like the more the more ops you release, the more fatiguing it becomes to not only play the game, but more importantly, every, every time you reinvent that, you're like, man, maybe I should take a break. Maybe I should take a break. Let's say you do eventually take that fateful break and you step away for one DLC. You just don't play. Take a, Just take a day off, you know, <laughs> in, in a matter of speaking. Three months off. Yeah. And then you come back and there's another DLC out. So you didn't play the last one and there's this new one. You're like, okay, I'm finally going to jump back in. There are four operators now that you don't know. You don't know what they do. You don't know how they influence things. And they have completely changed the landscape of the meta. Everything is different. Everything is new. Yeah, what, was that, what was that now... one quote? It's like the operator, you mm -hmm. won't be defined by your operators. Like gunfights will be the big thing for Valorant. Was yeah, like what they was, said at the start, was, right? It was a big thing for Valorant, yeah. No. But, uh, you know, I'm just, right now, just to be clear, I'm talking about Siege. But, but yeah, the I remember the first time this happened to me as a player was TF2. I TF2 has been a long running game, really long running, uh, and I left. I, I played for like three thousand, four thousand hours. I left for a few months because I had other stuff I had to do. I finally came back, and I remember distinctly, like I was like, ah, "This game is so different. I don't even know it anymore." And I, I couldn't get back into it. I didn't want to play it anymore. Um, and I, and I'm not saying we shouldn't change things. But I am suggesting that the rate at which you change things, the rate at which you release new content, must be moderated. Yeah, I agree. I I think I think one of the problems too is like so personally, like I don't mind. I don't mind the experience of like relearning things, like when they come out with new operators and it completely changes things. I don't mind that experience, but I think one of the problems is that they're going like they're going through the options they have for like new operators and new like abilities and all that, like too quickly, like just pace it out. Right. Like, like if you imagine like they, if they took all the operators we currently have and then release them like one or two at a time, I guess two at a time makes sense because they want to do an attacker and defender. So I can kind of understand that. But if they did it at like even half the pace, it would be, I feel like it just it would feel a lot more comfortable than it is now. I think just things added up too quickly. Like first we got Maestro and then all of a sudden now like we're we added in Wamai and we're getting Malusi and now all of a sudden like there's way too much fucking utility. Like we had Goyo as well. Like yeah. it just it it all came so fast. Like um yeah. I think I think that's part of the issue. And I do agree with what you said, Kicks, where if you take a break it's hard to come back to, but I I think that's the case with a, like, I think that is hard to avoid. Like I experience that oh. with other games I play because I yeah. take breaks from every other game I play other than Siege. Um, 
and like i find that i won't go back to them like i used to play hearthstone all the time and like just oh my god hearthstone. i don't even i don't even know what the decks do anymore so i literally (laughs) never went back to it like there was a couple times i went back to it but like shortly after i took a break and then just by the time i wanted to play again i had no idea what the fuck i was doing and i was like well i i don't want to relearn everything again and it was the same with league of legends like i used to play league of legends a ton for i think it was the first three seasons or something um and i like played it all the time and then i think i took like two seasons off or something and i just i never felt like coming back because it was too overwhelming to come back to um so i think uh i think that's a problem with a lot of games but i feel like that's kind of something unfortunately you have to deal with if you take a break as much as it sucks like i think if you really like the game enough i guess you deal with it but yeah that's the point though right i think it's about moderation yeah yeah. It's you gotta you gotta be careful with the pace as the development team, and then there are little things that you can do to try and help people understand what's going on, to coax them into getting back in, to encourage them to learn. Yeah. Like uh, one thing off the top of my head that I know League of Legends does, for example, when they release a new uh, hero, I think they call it champion. Champion. When they release yeah, when they release a new one, there's a YouTube video that's very succinct, very high production value. And that YouTube video comes out every time. It explains the operator or the, the champion, explains what that champion does at length, but also, again, succinct, and then how it interacts with some notable uh, common interactions that's going to, like, if, it's a, if, they're, if they think this is going to be a jungler, they'll tell them about how it interacts with the other meta junglers of the time. So yeah. that there's, like, a, there's a, they leave the breadcrumbs and such. And... Again, like the the pace could be slowed down. I think they they did say they're slowing down the pace of the operators in Siege. Yeah, one every season now. Yeah, and which uh, is interesting because it's going to give an advantage to either defense or attack, and it's going to go back and forth. In a matter of speaking, yeah. yeah. Wait, I, I didn't even know that's happening in Siege. One operator really? at a time. Now? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't know these things. Like it, it was announced at the Invitational. Yeah. Do you do you think while I was preparing for the grand finals against NIP that I was sitting there watching <laughs> the DLC preview? I mean, I mean that's why Troy, that's why I that's why I tweet with the check marks. Isn't it the only reason to go to the invitation? Do you think I read your tweets? <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the, but the yeah, so I think that we're we're getting that slowed down, and I, I think that'll be good in a manner of speaking. I'm very curious to see how that actually changes the game when it would be attack or defense. I'm very curious. I mean, we saw it when when both Lion and Finca came out. I mean, obviously, their Lion was a is an anomaly, but Lion and Finca came out. That was the only season where the attackers have actually had a better win rate than the defenders. That's mm. it. It's the only well, time. I mean, go except going back to like way Lion, way, way 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 back. It's so hard to say that with Lion being the exception yeah. to the conversation. That's he was so powerful at his release. I mean, those you just have another know. Lion and just do that again. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, you just release really stupidly powerful operators. <clears throat> yeah, every never DLC. I mean, they released Malusi. Uh, so, yeah, dude, Ace and Malusi. I mean, I'm sure Troy has a lot to say about that. Are we talking oh, about? He's that? talked. He's talked oh, about that. I've, I've talked about. He talks about okay. them every show. Yeah. Oh, I bet. We, I we've, bet. We've discussed them. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I. Share, I'm sure I share the sentiment with Troy on everything. Wait, 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 one thing though, do you think Ace is the hardest hard instructor? Just in general. Mm-hmm. Like the best one? The, the, sorry, yeah, the best, the best hardest structure. I think it said hardest. I don't know. I mean, I think, hardest. I think it kind of has to be in combination. Mm. But 
I mean, I think overall, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because he's it's the you know what it is that pushes him over the edge. Is it his face can, mask? He can throw the no. It's that he can oh. his his face mask looks so silly. When you see that face, you don't think it's going to be one of the best operators in the game. But then he's got it a is fucking diaper on his face, bro. Exactly. Like, anyway, so makes cosplaying pretty easy though. Just go down and get a local. Go down to your local store and just get a pair of huggies. Cut <laughs> <laughs> out some holes. The thing that makes him better than all the other hard structures is he can throw all his gadgets all at once. You can just throw them all out there. It just mm-hmm. takes yeah. a second. It's on there. Done. And that's it. That's that's the story. Elmar mm. <laughs> said, oh my god, yeah. It's so true. I thought the same thing, Omar. When when Ace came out, I just like I thought of Young. Like he Young loves this fucking goofy shit. The guy's got a fucking diaper on his head and Young loves that. Bro. Why doesn't he play Oryx then? Oryx is the goofiest looking operator right now in the game. Uh, I guess Ace is probably goofier, but Oryx is pretty goofy. Oryx is okay, I think. Oryx is Oryx is just not a good operator. That's why for most needs, but he's just inconsistent. It's very niche. Um, I did want to. I, I just wanted to mention. Uh, not not trying to get back onto this topic. Um, because I think we've got. Let's go into like maybe one more topic, and then we can talk about. Um, we can do the questions for you because we're at we're just over two hours now. Uh, one of the people that I think needs to be praised because we praised Ben, we praised Sierra, praised a lot of people at ESL. Uh, BK is one of the hardest working people. Um, that man would forego sleep for like four days just so he could admin different regions and go fors, etc. And I think he was unjustly overworked. Um, and I think he did an excellent job. And I know he's always watching. Uh, I don't know if he's watching this podcast. I have no idea, but I do know that he's always watching. BK is always watching. He's with Face It now, which I think is great. Um, but he's just oh, he literally just said in chat, "Yes, I am." Okay, well, he's here. That's creepy as hell. Um, but I mean, that's classic BK. Uh, BK two hundred one uh, obviously put in a, a ton of work as well, and I'm I'm glad that he's with Face It. Um, but we haven't really interacted. I just wanted to give him praise because I realized that when we were saying nice things to everybody, I hadn't I hadn't actually said any nice things to him. And I, I felt like I should have because he was he was great. So agreed. He and I went grocery shopping yeah. a couple times too. So he's a hard working dude. He's a very hard working dude. And he was in all of with the exception of the final one, which Larch was in, if you remember. Um mm-hmm. BK was in all of our qualifier calls. And he yeah. just he he sat there in the Discord call. And he just had to hear us be fucking morons for hours and hours. So for that alone, <laughs> for that alone, he deserves praise. So he was on standby so that you didn't fucking cost another team a qualifier map. I just remember after that happened, <laughs> not just a map that cost them the whole fucking series that pushed them into the lower bracket. But yeah. um, I still take no. I took all responsibility for that. I apologize. But um. You know. After that one, I was like, BK, you're in every call with us every yeah. single time. You were sitting in it and you were going to have Vets was in the first one. Vets yeah. was in the first one, then BK. And we had, I don't think we ever had Sierra. And then we had Larch Tree at the end. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, um, transitioning now. Um, let's talk very briefly, Michael, about the Paris Major and onward. Uh, you decided to focus more on casting. How has it been since? Do you regret making that call? Obviously, you're casting with me, so the answer is yes. You clearly, you clearly regret it. Um, post Paris Major till now, how have you seen your own personal growth? 
Have you regretted that you've decided to go all in on casting? And how do you think the scene has grown with you as a caster? Uh, um, no, I haven't regretted it. Uh, I think, you know, the thing that always gives me a little bit of a level of surety is that I, I know that long term, the thing that I do, the position that I find myself in makes the most sense, like as a as a long term career, as a you know, not just a during siege is lifespan, you know, no matter how you look at it, siege will die eventually, whether that's 15 years from now, six years from now, we have no idea. Mm -hmm. But we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. A lot of people say it's happening right now. That's bull. Um, I, you know, I keep my finger on that pulse. It's not happening right now. But Kick said it, so it's. I think that's the saying. If Kick said it, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but the the thing that makes it most, I think, reassuring to me for my for my decision is that I know that I can take casting and apply it to other things later in life. I think that it's a much more malleable talent. Um, and uh, I I think that's the ultimate. Well, it's. It's one of the reasons. Again, I think the main reason I stick, stuck with casting was because of uh, Parker. I I didn't want to ditch him, and I didn't want to, uh, and I didn't want to like give up on him and all that. And uh, but the yeah the 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 assured nature of casting versus playing was I think uh, was a big factor. And and it, if I look back on it now, I still I just remember. Yep, no, I'm gonna be able to cast. I'm gonna be able to keep casting. If I if I do it well enough, if I keep polishing well enough, I'll be able to keep doing it. The and, and on that note, since the Paris Major, I think my casting has gotten better. Um, there are still issues. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to tackle right now, in particular, is um, you know aside from the normal run of the mill stuff, like you're always trying to change your vocabulary, you're always moving that stuff around, but or you're always trying to improve on this and that. One of the things in particular I'm trying to account for right now is since we're in this 20-second meta, trying to take a step back when doing shoutcasting from um, actually analyzing the literal things that happen in-game, so like the crossfires and the angles and stuff, because I don't get to see all of those, because the 20-second meta usually means that we're like, the the view that we have the, the is kind of frantic, so a lot of stuff isn't always on screen. And as much as that's, you know, partially on the game uh, and luck of the draw for the spectator, um, it's also my job as a professional uh, to still present a consumable product. So one of the things I'm trying to work on is instead of working on what I usually like to deal with, which is facts and information in the game, trying to weave a story that still has a flow and does not get interrupted by the somewhat jagged nature of our current viewing, viewing experience. It's and it's honestly learning how to cast in the different metas is a challenge too, right? <clears throat> like when we were casting in the lion meta, it was by far and away the hardest casting that I think that we've ever done. Whereas the ying glass meta was pretty easy, right? Spectate glass and go from there. Um, whereas with lion, it was especially for you and I, I think it might have made it oh, actually easier for us um, because we are flexible. And we can both do play-by-play. -play. We can both do color. Uh, obviously, my analysis is, is nowhere near as good as yours. I wouldn't say that. But we can very... E well, thank you. We can very easily just kind of keep doing what we're doing. It's not like, oh, shit, action's happening. Now I got to give it to, you know, the play-by-play. -play, or, oh, shit, you know, now there's a break. I got to give it to the color commentator. 
And I think that the lion meta was really hard because there were, there would be rounds where it's like, it would be over in 40 seconds. And then there'd be rounds where there'd be nothing for two minutes, a 20 second burst of action back to nothing, 20 second burst of action, and then a slow prolonged death anticlimactic. There's the end. And it's like, how do you cast that? It's so challenging. Um, so that can be pretty tough to do. Um, and then you and I obviously like just trying to get into sync, obviously, because it's like we all have our bad days, especially casting online. That's a challenge because you and I rely a lot on on being in person and, and hand signals and all that stuff. And that can be that can be tough to do when you're online. Um, but I think if you look at at our growth as a duo from the Paris major onward, the Paris major, in my opinion, is the worst casting I've ever done. And I mean, a lot of that, too, was that I was going into that event not knowing if that was going to be the last time that you and I ever casted together. So for me, it was like I've been casting for about a year at this point. I'm still finding my footing. You know, I feel like we've worked towards some work towards some pretty cool milestones, and I think that we've done a good job of it. But I might be losing that. Obviously, that like with both of you going into events where you know that somebody's going to be leaving your team it affects you whether you want to acknowledge it or not, or, or try to shove it out of your mind. Um, and I think since then we have made a really good effort and we have both been good at getting feedback at, at working on things. I think after the Paris major, you and I also just became closer friends, um, culminating with our time at DreamHack uh, winter, I think in Sweden. Um, and then from like there on, I think that was like DreamHack Sweden, DreamHack winter, the end of 2018 was where ice was like, after that event, we just went off like guns a blazing. Um, yeah. And that's where I think like we, we took it up to like another level. And I think it's been, I think it's been pretty solid since then. Um, I like that we're now starting to get other duos in the scene. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think you'll probably say the same thing. I think it's cool as hell that in a lot of people perceive us to be like the faces of siege casting. But at the end of the day, the more that there are, you know, there, there are more tastes out there that want to hear other people. There are great voices out there that deserve to be heard. Our scene benefits from it. I mean, even if we want to be selfish, we benefit from it too, because if we're casting we everything, people are going to get tired of us and we're going to get yeah. tired of casting. So we benefit in other ways too. Yeah. Like use your, if you use your brain, you think about that for a second. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways that we benefit from having other talents. And more importantly, I, I personally feel like on a, on a on a on a very personal level, I feel like casting is a competitive platform in the same way that playing is a competitive platform. And maybe it's less obvious and direct, but I wholeheartedly in, uh, embrace that competition and I want more of that. And I feel like there's a lot of undervalued talents in the casting community right now. Yeah. Prestige specifically. Yeah. I mean, people got really tired of seeing Penta win all the time. No, nobody probably more tired of it than, than Troy. Um, mm -hmm. I was just tired of losing myself. <laughs> Nothing to do with them. I don't care who wins as long as, I mean, all right, sorry. I don't care who it is winning. as long, If it's someone other than me, I don't like it. Yeah. That's all. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, I just think there's validity in that. People don't, people want variety and I think that's good. And you know, if, if we've made a mark on casting, I think that's cool. But I think that there's, I think that there's stuff that we can learn. I listen to Ace and Dez cast and I learn things. You know, I listen to Blue and Stokes cast. I learn things. I listen to Veli's analysis. I listen to Dev's analysis. I listen to Jess's analysis. I learn things. I talk to players. I learn things, you know, and I think that's you're foolish if you think that you've never stopped learning and that there's nothing for you to gain or to get that can you can help you know, that can help you grow. 
there's always a way to be better in some way, shape or form. And I'm glad that our scene is now starting to develop other duos. And honestly, Jackie has really impressed me. Jackie doing Latam with Ace. I've been really impressed with him. Um, I think he's done an extraordinarily good job for somebody who I didn't think knew this game at all. I think a lot of that credit goes to Ace because I think Ace is just such a good caster that you can stick people. With. Then that to me, that's the mark of a good caster. If if people always cast well with you, the common factor is is you, right? Like you yeah. make them better. And I think Ace is definitely that kind of guy. I think Dez is as well. Um, I think Dezichu makes people good casters as well. I mean, he had to cast with Flynn for crying out loud. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I I as we now close the chapter on you and I like talking about this on the, on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. And I appreciate like hell that you gave me a chance out of nowhere to move to another continent and cast with you. And I, I cannot thank you enough. So wasn't just me. I know, but just take the credit. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of that will also go to the uh, people at Ubisoft and at ESL who were down for it, you know, uh, and I, to truth be told, we don't, I, I, we actually don't even know to this day who would have made final decision on that. You know, uh, I mean, we know who, who lo- like, yeah, I lobbied for it. I lobbied a it's lot, true. But, but who, they, the person who in the board meeting when presented with the idea was like, sure, that, that person is still yeah. unknown to us. I mean, Daniel from ESL was the one who who gets the credit from ESL, but right, who he was from the one Ubisoft, who went and did it. Yeah, who yeah. from Ubisoft is the one, and I'm actually very curious about that. I don't even know if it, like we don't know if it was an enthusiastic, yeah, hundred percent. It was like, yeah, whatever, great. or just like, sure, whatever. Another caster, okay. <laughs> well, he smacked the booty. I don't know. <laughs> um, let's talk about streaming because I think this is something that both of you can talk about now, and this will be the last topic before we get into questions. Um. Because both of you are streamers. Troy obviously streams reluctantly. Uh, I still think I'm sub to you. I um, call myself a streamer, but sure. Dude, those those T-Hunt music no cam streams? <sighs> Legendary, dude. Um, I usually kept the cam on. You're just running around on border with Jackal, just listening to some Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know? Yep. The Poge playlist. Um, a, both of you are streamers, obviously. Um... And for you, Michael, I mean, I guess it kind of ties into the fact that we do this podcast as a caster. Do you see the job that you do in the community as just being a caster? Do you see yourself as more than that? And do you think you need to? Or is this a job where you can just show up as a caster, cast matches and then leave? Um, uh, no, you can't do that. Um, I mean, you could, it's, you're not going to get very far. Um, for, I, I actually brought this up somewhat earlier. We were talking about bloodbath where it's, you know, if you, if that's all you do, you show up and you cast and that's it. Then, and you treat it like a nine to five, then you're not going to, I think, be conducive to this kind of environment. It, it's siege is a very personal esport. It's a, it's a very tight knit community because a lot of us have been here since the beginning. And a lot of us have always been invested in it regardless of what other people uh, have said. You know, I, I think all of us here can say that right now. Um, and I think having extended involvement, not only with 
um, not only with the greater scene, but with, you know, the people involved in the scene and other facets of that, like players or admins or production or what have you, you know, really trying to work with everyone hand in hand, Ubisoft, you know, to, to, to push things forward, no matter what, I think that's crucial. And for me personally, I would say that casting for my involvement in the siege scene, casting probably amounts to 35 to 40% of what I do. Most of what I do in the siege scene, I is not even it's not even it's not public stuff. It's not, I don't really talk about it. You know, like a lot of the a lot of the things that I'm uh, and it's not like I'm not saying, oh, I'm in with Ubisoft. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like just involvement in the scene as a like a greater whole. Um, I, I think that for me, it's it's and this might seem a little cheesy, but it's a bit of a it's it's kind of just my life right now. Uh, and, you know, of course, that that might change uh, in the future. But like you two, I, I have been living siege since it's the very beginning my, literally my entire adult life i've been living siege so and i'm 23 now so that's just it that's it i've just been living it 23 years of rainbow six damn oh my god adult life <laughs> but you know i mean I, you know the casting is part of it the casting is a big part of it i think what you do around the casting on the other parts that, that you involve yourself in those are also crucial i one thing resonates with me with what Troy was talking about. If I could put words in his mouth, or he, he was uh, when he put made that tweet about he always wanted to make content that was meaningful in Siege outside of just being a player, uh, and how this podcast facilitates that. And I think you know, you know, and and how he felt lucky to have that. And I think I agree with that sentiment. I think you know, having those outlets, uh, having that involvement outside of just the one thing that you do is not only important it's it's crucial to siege's success and siege's livelihood so casting is part of it but it's it's not all that you do and and it's not just me who's like that it's it's most siege people most siege people yeah i mean i think it's very different for me um i think i used to be more where i i tried to stream more i can't can't do it um but i like i guess i'll reference that tweet that you mentioned um like i've always wanted to contribute more to the scene because of course like i'm grateful for the fact that i have this opportunity and i'm very well aware of the fact of like how many people support me and um are interested in, in me and want it like like they want me to stream they want they want to hear my opinions on the game they want to see me play the game and uh, I'm very aware of that fact, and I'm very appreciative of the support I get. Um, but I guess the the obvious ways to kind of give back content that they can actually um, consume is like YouTube or streaming. And for me, it's very demanding to do that. Um, I'm actually a very introverted person. A lot of people don't know that about me. A lot of people expect me to be the same guy screaming on stage all the time and all that. Um, but yeah, like anyone that's teamed with me, they, they can tell you I'm a very introverted person. I actually like, like after practice, I'll like just go back to my room or like chill on the couch, whatever, like keep to myself, read, watch, a watch TV, like whatever, whatever I do, watch streams. Um, but I, I need time to decompress cause I can't do it all the time. And the thing is, is in my role on my teams is I have to be very talkative, very communicative, um, 
like in a, in a leadership role, it's, it takes a lot out of me. So usually after scrims, like there's no way I could do like streams and sit there and talk to chat all the time. I just couldn't do it. Um, and, and then the same goes for, for YouTube as well, putting in the effort to do that. So this is something that it, it's the type of content I want. Like I could stream realistically and just not talk, but I don't feel like it would be the type of content I would want to produce. Like I don't want just me playing. Cause I don't think that's what I am. Like, I don't think, I don't think I'm a pro player because of my gameplay. I think I'm a pro player because of like what I bring to a team. Um, so I, I like I would rather stream and like talk to chat and answer questions and kind of share my thoughts on the game and stuff like that. And I think that's what this podcast is good for is it's that side of me where it's, yeah, me talking about the game, me talking about my thoughts on something in the scene, me talking about um, what I think of so-and-so player or so-and-so team, how I think they can maybe solve their issues, whatever. Um, I think that's how I contribute best. And that's the type of content I want to push for. Um, so yeah, I, finding that kind of sweet spot where it's not too demanding of me. Like I can do this once a week and I can feel okay because the rest of the week I can just focus on the team, focus on practice and I'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I was, I'm glad we found this. I'm glad Parker's doing this with me. Um, and especially he, he puts in a ton of work with it as well. You guys, uh, I was joking about it before the stream, but like you guys have an overlay, you guys get the announcements, you guys get it uploaded everywhere. Like I, I show up and talk. Um, Dude, Candor and Zantu do an yes. outstanding Parker, amount of work. Parker, Candor, and Zantu do so much work. I literally show up and talk. So Troy uh, steals checks. Yeah, as you heard. I mean, him. yeah, Troy so, steals checks. Uh, oh. A lot of credit. A lot of credit to all of them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I found this and uh, I'm glad I can give back to the community and not kind of push myself over the edge because end of the day, like I think part of the reason why people like me is because they can see that my priority always is competition and winning. Like that's, that's who I am. People look at me, they know that's what I'm, I'm here to win. That's what I want to do. Um, I don't think that's really questioned and I don't want to change that and I want to keep that part of me because that's that's my genuine self and I think that is why people like me. So um yeah, I wanted to want to maintain that but also be able to give back to you guys. So uh yeah. Thank you for uh for giving me this opportunity and thank you, Parker, Candor, Santu, everyone that watches, all of that. Yes. Hyper claps for everybody. This honestly, like I I'm I couldn't do this alone. It was something that I've been kicking around for a while. I think you give me too much credit for this. I think it's a team effort. Like I said, I think Candor and Xantu do a great work. Candor does all the graphic work. So everything you see on the screen, all that jazz, that obviously that's all him. Uh, Xantu does the timestamps. He does the editing. He does the uploads for us. And then I, I put them all on the on the different platforms. So, you know, it's it's a it's a team effort. So this has turned into a very wholesome podcast where we all give thanks um, it makes me think of a certain Thanksgiving tweet, um, that jumps to mind with Troy, but I, I don't know. It's slipping my mind here. Something about second place. And I don't know. Anyway, I, uh, and thank you, Michael, for coming on so far. <clears throat> it's been, uh, it's been great having you as you look so riveted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Kex. Um, 
so uh i mean i will just touch on what all of you have said and it's the one thing that does kind of uh strike me as odd for rainbow six is that if you look at other communities their casters don't really stream like i've tuned into like csgo casters i've tuned into league casters i've tuned into call of duty their casters do tend to pull pretty good numbers um but it's like if you look at some Dota casters, if you look at some CSGO casters, Overwatch casters, etc., most of them don't pull good viewership. And I find that really odd. Like, obviously, Sideshow and Bren do quite well when they stream. Sideshow in particular has an excellent stream in Overwatch. Um, you know, CSGO, Pimp has been doing a good job with his streams, but for the most part, the rest of them don't really pull huge viewership. And I, I do find that kind of odd um, because outside of like, outside of like Pimp, maven and call of duty um and uh and and sideshow i mean they'll get a couple hundred viewers fine but it's like it's crazy to me how little of the actual talent does side content and maybe it's just that they work more than us maybe they're paid That's better than us so they don't need to um maybe they're just busier than us i don't know um i have read from some casters um uh uber actually talked about this on twitter Somebody was asking about like somebody asked him like why he's not streaming or why he's not doing like, you know, content, why he's not tweeting, etc. And he said, because I think it's important that when I have my time off, I take it like when we're not doing Overwatch League, like I decompress. I think it's helpful for you to step back and like live your life and not just be constantly immersed in the 24 seven esports bubble. And I will say, I honestly like I think that is I think that is a benefit. I think there is a benefit to that. Um but I think for us, because we are a bit of a younger scene, and I think that Rainbow Six is such a daunting game to begin with, I think the more content that is good, the better. Uh, and when I say that's good content, I mean like insightful. There's plenty of room for meme videos like Anthony Pitt and Too Mad style of videos, Tuxbird, Cobb, the Nonsense House, or whatever they're called. Like those videos are great. They're not always super. They're not always super informative. They're very entertaining. I think the where we really suffer is we don't have a ton of informative content. And if this podcast can be but one of those that helps build a foundation of it, then that's really all I want. Where people who don't understand the game, who don't understand the theory behind the top level play, who don't understand why players and teams have done certain things. And if this is a podcast that can kind of shed some light on that mission accomplished, that's basically what I want to do. And also get on guests that can give their stories. And yeah. and give insight into their own experiences and where they've come from and why they're here. Agreed. So. I think actually something I want to mention from you saying that. Um, I think a, I guess a lot of people don't know this about me, and I don't know. I guess it's an obvious thing that they don't know it about me because like I've never shared it. I guess, but like like prior to Siege, like I was a hardcore like esports fan of like every game I played, like Call of Duty tournaments, I would like make sure I'd watch them all the time. Like Halo, it was the same thing. Starcraft, I used to wake up at like four in the morning and watch GSL. Like I, I was literally just like in love with any, any esport, honestly. Like I, I watched them all. Um, yeah, pretty much, pretty much any like pretty big esport out there I had watched. And, uh, I love this type of content that, that insightful content where like you would get to see, yeah, like the inner workings of a pro team, like Oh my god! Like the Dota Two True Sight series, like that's like it's like it's like heroin for me or something. Like it's it's crazy. I love that stuff. 
I'm like, I just get absolutely hooked on it. And I think there's, there's obviously a lot of people out there that feel the same way. Cause like that type of content does well because it's, it's interesting. People get to understand the, these players and they get to, I mean, it humanizes them as well, but also they just, they get to appreciate more like, I guess even the, the non gameplay side, like what goes into a team and, and uh, how people contribute to it and just overall, like their understanding of the game, it helps you understand the game better because um, you see how like the best players see the game and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I definitely think as well, Parker, that that type of insightful content is is very important. And yeah, it's, it's always good to have. Um, I think also to add on to what you mentioned uh, previously about casters and other games, I do think in a lot of cases, I think they're busier like in cs like they had some obviously it's it's changing a bit now but like for the longest time they had so many events like i don't know how they could ever stream you know um yeah and i think i think even with dota it was like that for a bit probably as well um league maybe not as much but i think i don't know i'm not sure about league with casters because i it doesn't seem like they stream very often but they like probably could because it's just like they just play once a week, right? Like they probably could. Um, well, I can. Sure. They do a lot of side content. I do know that. Okay. That um, I mean, the amount of side content and skits and stuff that come out for sponsors and stuff like that, at least for LEC, is quite high. Um, and I mean, obviously, not getting into inner workings, but the amount that CS:GO and League casters are paid in comparison to Rainbow Six casters is not even comparable. And I mean, you know, for them, it might just not it'd be worth the money. They're making the C- most CSGO casters at the top level and like the the proper Riot casters, from what I've heard, they're making so much money. There's no, I mean, like they could stream, but, but it, why? it like it's, but why? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like it could be like, it can be passion, but if they're working a bunch and doing lots of stuff and they don't need to worry about money, then take your time off and run with it. You know, like the teams also do an excellent job of putting out content in the LEC. I will say that in LCS. And that's one thing that, you know, they're in chat right now. I want to commend Dark Zero for. Yeah. Dark Zero's behind the scenes stuff has been awesome. I think they've done a really, really good job. And I think that that was part of the goal of getting all the teams on LAN was that when every team is in Vegas, you've got all these orgs doing content, doing interviews, yep. behind the scenes stuff, obviously can't really happen right now, mm-hmm. but there's a void, right? And and to a certain extent, this podcast does fill part of that void into the dark by dark zero is filling part of that void. Logic bomb fills some of that void. Yep. So it, I think it all kind of works together. Um, but I, like I said, if you look at League, all of the orgs do a great amount of heavy lifting to pump out content so that the casters don't need to. Mm-hmm. But in Rainbow Six, like, we kind of have to because if the casters aren't doing it, like, they're, they're, I, I used to get knocked for it. But there were times back, like, way back when where, like, Ubisoft or ESL would, like, softly announce something but never officially announce it. And I would tweet about it and people would, like, you in particular would joke about like some of the tweets I'd make, but like nobody was announcing it. It's like, why have you got a caster being the voice of this announcement to the outside world? It shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was kind of decentralized in the early days and it's gotten better now. Yeah. But it's just, you know, and you look at other established esports scenes, CSGO has been around so long. 
there's no real appetite for a lot of side content because it's already been talked to death. Mm-hmm. League with new content that always comes out, the orgs will do it. The streamers will do it. The players will do it. They don't need the casters to do it. With us, yeah. you kind of need casters to do it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully that will... I mean, when when we can get to land, I think hopefully that can uh, improve. I, I agree, though. Like, what Dark Zero is doing is great. Uh, I actually messaged Jordan about that to tell him because it's, it's something we need in the scene. Um, EG, when I was on the team... I mean, they were temporary. They were trying to do some of that stuff, but yeah. it was uh, it was inconsistent, and things fell apart. Obviously, um, but EG did a bit of that, and I know G two. I mean, G two does it with their team, but yeah, like that that stuff is a it's a big deal. Um, uh, I think it's important for teams to have that type of content. Well, there you have it, Michael. Any closing thoughts before we barrage you with questions that the audience has asked you? Um, no. All right, great. Um, so let's, let's go to the questions for kicks category. Yes, sir. Um, some of these have already, we've already treaded some of this ground. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll just pass over some of the ones that have already been asked. Uh, first question that is very highly requested by a number of people. I know you talked about it briefly on stream, but for those people that weren't watching it live, what is the progress on community callouts? Uh, so the initial intention behind community callouts was to get a consensus, basically, on what everyone wanted something to be called. Um, and upon reflection, there's no good way to get that out. The one thing I tried to do for a little while was like I was DMing teams on like Twitter and stuff. Hey, could you fill this out? Hey, could you fill this out? Could you fill this out? Um, but that actually proved to be somewhat ineffective, but more importantly, um, inconsistent. Uh, and it didn't really give any meaningful information. Then there was there's public surveys. Public surveys are also perfectly fine. But in order for those to be effective, you have to narrow the field. You can't just let people choose anything because then you're looking at a thousand different calls for the same spot. So I found that was ineffective as well. So uh, the the initial plan kind of fell flat on its face. Um, the like getting that consensus in a meaningful way, like actually getting the information from people really didn't seem to be possible. So the uh, the plan has changed since then. Uh, the change was to be a little bit more, on the not like perfect consensus, not like everyone gets an input, but more of a, I'm going to figure out what the best one is for each and every little spot uh, based on the people who do want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's how it's adjusted. Um, and it's, it's because of that change. I think it's, it's taking a lot more, taking a lot more time than I would have liked, but I had to figure out that the initial plan wasn't going to work. So here we are. Uh, another thing is, uh, I, I initially wanted to do this as a kind of a group, bit of a group project, but that's not really happening either. So I, I think uh, you know most of the most of the stuff I'm kind of just doing by myself in the in the background, slowly but surely. Like every once in a while, I'll get on and I will edit in Photoshop some images and mess around with this call sheet and that call sheet. Sometimes I'll ask somebody whose value, whose opinion I value, what do you think about this call or that. And stuff like that. So I'm just, I'm kind of working on it 
it's 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 taken a lot more time than I would have liked. It's you know proven to be a bigger project than I thought it would be initially, but I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'm I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping to get it done before the next invitational. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. So 2021. February 2021, presumably, assuming that's when it happens. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope it's not that late. <laughs> well, if you ever need any help, just uh, ask everybody. Because mm. I know there's great demand for it. Yeah. I'm uh, working on it. Troy, do you have a question? Your turn. Yeah. It's kind of for both of you. Um, okay. But, so for both of you, has there ever been a match that you wish you had casted? Also, are there any games that you enjoyed casting so much that you wish you could go back and experience it again? You go no. first. No, there, there's never, there's never been one of those. I, I'll be honest. Um, most matches, most, uh, most of the things that happen, like there's always one thing or another that uh it makes a match good or bad there's never been one that really stands out as i wish i could cast again i will say that there's one one match that i wish had gone longer uh and that was um empire versus g2 mm. in the finals Me too. Uh, i know a lot of people were tired the coastline map went a long time i was not tired i was so very focused on that match i was wide awake the energy in the gameplay was enthralling and electric and i just wish that empire had more gas in the tank that's that's it that's like the only one that i wish had gone differently but there's and, and i'm not saying i wish empire won i don't i don't give a hoot who wins not what a i hoot. want is what i want is good siege gameplay I just wish that Empire had more gas in the tank. That's all I wish. Because the when when both of those teams were going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, when they were both going at their, their best, that was just peak siege right there. And, you know, that's not the only time we've seen peak siege, but it is an example of peak siege. Um, for me, the answer uh, to, is there a match you wish you'd casted? Yeah, um, I wish I'd casted um, when Liquid beat... Uh, Penta at the uh, Atlantic City Finals. Um, number one, I have never casted Latin America winning anything. Um, I would like to. Um, obviously, that's going to be more challenging now, given that I don't cast Latam anymore, and we'll have to do it at a, presumably at a major. Um, but, I mean, I, I didn't cast Liquid winning at OGA Pit. Um, FaZe has never won anything Nip has never won anything Liquid won Atlantic City Milos and Emzo casted that um, I feel Sorry? Your dream almost came true Sorry I was cheering for Nip You know this Anyway um, sorry. sorry one sec um, are, we, are we talking about The Last Invitational now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually kind of wish That one had a gun a little longer too I, I mean like we talked about this i think on the last podcast where it's like mm. or two podcasts ago it's like i get the whole best of five up one map but i would have loved to have seen five actual maps between you and nip uh, i mean obviously you didn't but i would have loved to have seen that regardless um yeah i would have liked to have casted penta versus liquid um shitty meta that we were in at the time but uh i, I would have loved to have put my voice to 
Brazil winning. I really am a huge fan and have a massive soft spot for Brazilian Rainbow Six. Uh, and despite the fact that a lot of Liquid fans think that I hate them because of the dust up that Gohan and I got into, I, I'm very, very eager to be able to cast a, a Latam team winning an event. Um, great region. Uh, Liquid at the time was was playing some pretty fun Siege, even though, like I said, the meta wasn't the greatest. Um, that was the Ying Lion meta for everybody that's curious. Um, but that's the that's the one I would have liked to have casted that. Um, if I go back and recast a match, uh, I wish I was a better caster for the 2018 SI Finals. That's it. I, I mean, you've got the greatest match that's ever been played in Rainbow Six Siege, and you've got Kix and I casting it after we've only been casting together for about two and a half to three months at that point, and I'm still brand new to casting. I wish I could cast that match again today because I think that the casting would be miles, miles, miles better for me. And my, that's that's one of my biggest hangups is that if Siege ends in like a year or two or three or four or something like that, we never have a match top that. It will always go down in history as it being casted by somebody who is a complete and utter amateur who, in my opinion, I think I've gotten much better as a caster since then. And I wish that I'd been able to do it proper justice. That's all. So those are my answers. Okay. Mean. Yeah, I wish I was a better player for that match. <laughs> well, I mean, you won it in the end. Yeah. No, it all it all turned out well. Yeah. Losing is learning. We uh, we learned from it. Failure is the mother to success, as the Chinese say. You love that line. I do. It's you love it means that the, it means the same thing. It means the same thing. Yeah. Um, all right, let me find one here. Um uh, Oh, here's a here's a pretty quick one. Which region do you consider the strongest right now? Which region do I consider the strongest right now? Yeah. Uh, impossible to compare. The nature of siege is far too dynamic. Now I'm gonna be. I'm not. I'm not dodging with this. I want to be clear about something. The nature of siege is is far too dynamic. We're always everything's always changing. For example, uh, ninjas of pajamas certainly seemed really strong during their invitational run, right? Uh, and that was during a different meta, and it might seem fresh in your memory still right now. Things change rapidly, and I don't know how they're gonna compare to other teams. Same thing for SSG. The thing that makes SSG one of the most internationally competitive teams, in my opinion, is their malleability, their ability to adapt. They're always moving to the next thing, or at least that's how it seems from an outside perspective. So I can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, so if you ask me who's the best region or what's the best region, there is no real answer. I could say this or that, but I'd be lying or stupid if I were to say this or that. Because the truth is, we haven't had a LAN in a while, a really long while, and all of the information, all the meaningful information from our last LAN is dried up. So, yeah. yeah. You yeah, talked about uh, this, Troy. You talked yeah, about this that, a couple podcasts ago. Yeah, I definitely did. It's just like, yeah, that... I mean, the event's not irrelevant, <laughs> but like... It's it's hard to say who the best team is now from like the, yeah the most recent LAN event is literally played on a completely different meta like that was Mute and Mozzie were abused at the time and now it's Jaeger and Wamai 
views, right? It's completely different. Um, so yeah, the game the game's entirely different, and you just you don't know, and you can't judge from how a team is doing online in their own region. I think that's something. Uh, yeah, to always take into account is yeah. forgot to mention teams that. will always match up differently, like domestically. Um, I think it's. I think it's yeah, it's it's a whole different beast. Like international play is yeah, a lot more about adapting because the thing is, is you're going to come into that land and you're going to play an international team and you're going to play against something you're uncomfortable against because you've never played against it before. Um, whereas when you play within your own region, you usually stay pretty comfortable. Obviously, there's sometimes you'll get caught off guard and made uncomfortable, but uh, for the most part. You'll you'll remain pretty comfortable just because you're you're scrimming against NA teams all the, or domestic teams all the time, and they will have like some of the similar default strategies and and just similar playstyle things. So even if you don't scrim exactly against the team you're playing, you're scrimming against something similar all the time, and you'll kind of be used to it a little bit. Yeah, but I mean. If, if I had to pick, I'd say NA, but I'm biased. <laughs> I would say right now, I would say that at the top, NA is the strongest. Um, I think EU second, LATAM third, APAC fourth. Um, but I think after you move off of the pro, the top, I, I think it's still EU. I think it always has been. I think EU's tier two scene has always been by far and away the strongest. And I think honestly, EU's tier two scene could be tier one elsewhere. Um, Agreed. We have to get the uh, we have to get the hockey reference in once a podcast. So this is like when people say like Team Canada could field a B team at the Olympics, and it would also still be a gold medal team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's kind of the same with EU. EU has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to their tier two scene. Um, and I mean, it, you've just had to watch most of the national qualifiers the last week or so, and you can see the strength that EU has underneath their tier one scene. It's it's wild absolutely wild um and obviously that's going to continue to push them upwards i don't know why eu isn't at the top right now i think they've i think eu actually kind of made a couple big roster moves on a couple big teams and maybe it's working out maybe it's not they still have to settle in whereas na haven't really made as many roster moves at the top and they are really disciplined right now it's kind of hilarious the way that it's it's swung from one side to the other Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's what i would say um, I'd say NA is probably number one overall at the moment, but it's so hard to tell without events, as, as both of you said. Yeah. I think the, the easiest way to, to grade it is to look at the literal results. Use empirical evidence, be objective, instead of just, I feel, or anecdotal. Um, and that empirical evidence is going to be um, results from the last LAN event. SSG is the best team in the world right now. There you go. Like, that's... Yeah. If, if that's all if that's all you want to know like if you if you want to be as objective as possible then there you go but it's far more complicated than that you know and it gets it, the 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 layers get really deep and so saying that is i, I think i think is yeah. it's just short-sighted or not it short-sighted is. but shallow agreed i think it's good that there's a question you know because for i think uh, whether troy is going to agree with me or not here i think for 3 years the easy answer was eu from the moment oh, yeah. from the moment that I started casting Pro Siege in the fall of 2017 till probably the SI this year, the easy answer was Europe. And if you weren't saying EU, you were you were lying. 
Like, I think Europe has been by far and away the best region over the last three years. I think the tide started to turn sometime at the end of 2019. And, you know, I think LATAM's top have, have caught up. And I think NA's top have really put in extraordinary work. Um, and I think yeah. that's good. I, I think, honestly, that's really good for the scene. I think it's great that we can look at some teams in LATAM, some teams in NA, and some teams in EU and say, oh, I don't know who's going to win. Probably Space Station at the moment. But it's not like you're going into every match or it's not like you're going into every single matchup and you're going into every single tournament and you're like, yeah, Penta's going to win. Yeah, G2's yeah. going to win. Yeah, Empire's going to win. Like, as that has been the prevailing opinion for, you know, three years. I, I actually want to add to that because what you're talking about you EU's dominance. Uh, thank you, Parker. Uh, you're talking about EU's dominance. I firmly believe that, yes, okay, they were the winning team consistently over and over. Uh, you know, it was obviously it was G2, Penta and all that, you know, yes. But also at the same time, I can remember so many instances, not necessarily exclusively in the finals, but so many instances where North America came within rounds of bringing it all the way and taking not only the, the tournament, but uh, that match in particular that would result in them taking the tournament. And of course, you know, Troy knows what I'm talking about on like a personal level here. Yeah. But there's other instances outside of those. So, you know, I, and I, you know, they're sprawled all over, all over the, the history of Siege competition. It's like one right? round in particular I'm really thinking of right now. <laughs> but I think I Is think... it on the black stairs? Mm, different color. <laughs> no, I'm thinking more white stairs. Brown, red? Oh. Uh, I think white stairs. Yeah, yeah I think it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> But, I, but I'm actually yeah. not trying to focus on that one here. I'm I'm trying to more like look at it in a broad scale here. North America has, I think, always been one step away. And, you know, if if we're making the argument now that it's North America is they're in the seat, they're in the driver's seat, they they've got it, then I, I yeah, okay, they did it. They they took that extra step. They went that extra little bit. And good for good for them, good for Troy, good for NA as a whole. Um but I think that EU, if behind, if we're going to say that, then they are but one step away. So there's, you know, and you're, and I don't think that, and I don't think it's even mutually exclusive to EU. Look at Latam. Remember Nip's run? Forget about it. I mean, that was ridiculous. They were doing so much more than I think anyone expected of them. Um, and you could even say the same thing about APAC. Oftentimes they will have miracle runs where they could go the full distance and take tournaments in theory they don't but you see the potential when you watch them play and yeah they lose you see it and i i think that's really tangible i think that there's always going to be uh, an opportunity for for all of these regions to take control i don't think that any one region is so far ahead of everyone else or ever has been regardless of the streak that g2 put up i i i don't think anyone's so far ahead of anyone else that uh, that's there's not going to always be interesting siege competition. I don't know. I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I think we were when, yeah, when we were making those second place runs with EG, like, I mean, we were, we were very close. I think the problem was like the piece that we were missing or whatever was we struggled to find our consistency and like mm -hmm. discipline to close out rounds. And I think when I joined SSG, we kind of found that. And I think, that's, I mean, I think it's a it's a similar thing with teams in other regions is that they're very close to finding that and they're just missing that piece and that piece might not necessarily be a player. But like, like for me on EG, it wasn't even necessarily necessarily a piece, but also like SSG was like missing a piece and I think that was me. 
um, bringing like the IGLing and adaptability. And I think me joining a disciplined team like that helped it um, and helped help me kind of flourish more and I help them flourish more. Um, and I think that, yeah, the same can be said for a lot of other teams. Um, there's, there's top teams in like every region that I can notice like a weakness, I think. And I think if they solve that weakness, it could be very scary. Um, some have like what appear to be easier solutions than others, I think, but like, you don't really know unless you're on the team. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're all very close and I, I don't think it's really a region thing. I think in the case of like APAC, obviously I think they have a, they, they, they have, um, an inherent disadvantage just because of like the practice partners and stuff like that. Geography. Um, but as far as like Latin America, NA and EU, I think they have the ability like in the right teams Latin America, you can maybe make the argument, but I think there's enough teams at the top to where they can learn from each other and learn from watching other regions and stuff like that to where they can make it. It's just, yeah, a matter of figuring out what you need, getting the, getting the right pieces, working together, all that. Yeah. Did you guys talk about the last question that was just posted? Have you guys talked about that yet on one of your, on one of your podcasts? The best of three versus best of one? Yeah. Oh no, we have not. Or wait, no, did we mention it? We mentioned a bit with Doki, didn't we? I don't want to hit a tried, you know, tried I mean, boring topic. I mean, I, mean, I I am curious your thoughts on it because I, I think as a as a caster, we can talk about best of ones and best of threes. Um, yeah. So yeah, give us your thoughts then. Okay. It's come up a number uh, of times. It's it's a very popular question. So to put it bluntly, um, as a caster. I feel there's more conclusion when it comes to, when it comes to best of three. I think best of threes yeah. are more conclusive in the results that they give us. I often am left wanting with best of ones. When I cast a best of one and the result is a draw or oh, even a win, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't need to be a draw. Even if it's a win, let's say it's a seven five or it goes, it goes, yeah, it just, that's it. It's a seven five. Even then, I still am looking at that match. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, damn, they came real close. These teams match up well against each other. I really heckin' wish I could see them play some more. That's, that's what's going through my head when mm -hmm. I see two teams match up well with each other. And then when it's a draw, I'm just like, well, okay, there's no conclusion. Uh, so for me, I, just, I think best of three is the right amount the one thing I will say is I, I know because I've seen seen a lot of uh, people who are responsible for league decisions talk about on Twitter uh, for Rainbow Six how, for example, uh, saying that best of threes require a lot of sacrifices. And this is one of the guys who's involved in the North American NCSA uh, management. So he he's the one who's facilitating best of threes. It takes a lot of sacrifices. I agree. You know, it's best of threes are not an easy thing to get out there. And they also will change up scheduling. I mean, look at what happened. I don't know if Seth's still here. But he'll, you know, he'll still feel, he'll, I'm sure, feel strongly about this. Look at what happened with the scheduling, the qualifier. So yeah. it's not mm -hmm. a perfect, you know, formula and it needs to be refined. But I still think it's worth it for the conclusiveness and the entertainment value of a best of three. That's just my opinion. 
I don't think you're going to get any disagreement from us out of that. Um, this, yeah, this, this echoes a lot of, of what I think most people would say. I think that there are, there are sacrifices, right? And a best of one allows more teams to play on the same day. You're a fan of G2. Congratulations. They're playing every day. Yeah. And that was part of the, and that was part of the allure. Actually. I remember very specifically this being talked about. I don't think this is under NDA. I don't know. But anyway, I remember when ESL was telling us that they were switching to best of ones. And we were in that meeting and it came up being like every team now gets to be watched every play day. That's part of that's part of like a why that's part of one of the benefits of a best of one series. Um, and it's true. I mean, if you're a fan of TSM, you don't. I mean, how many times, Michael, and this will tie into what I'm saying as I collect my thoughts. How many times would you be streaming and somebody would come in and be like, who's playing tonight? Right. Because only half uh, the teams would be right. And we have that lot. right now in the U.S. division, like. Oh, there are some nights where it'll be like United versus Tempo Storm, and then it's like DZ versus, you know, SSG. And people come in and be like, when does Bolo play? Or they'd come in and they'd say, you know, when does when does whatever team play? And, you know, it could end up being that they play Monday and then they don't play again until next Wednesday. You don't know. It's a lot easier now. Oh, you tune in, you know, Rogue is playing every day. Oh, you tune in, you know, Vitality's playing every day. It is much easier from a casual viewer perspective, especially fans of that team. If you're a fan of Vitality, you might tune in a little bit earlier, a little bit late and maybe watch another team, but you're still tuning into that broadcast every single day. If you're a fan of TSM, you're not showing up on the days that TSM isn't playing. And more importantly, it, you know, you're, you're not sticking around after the best of three because there's the downtime and you watch the match, then you leave. Mm-hmm. I... I also think, though, that that is a benefit in many cases because, yeah, okay, teams have fans. Like, I'm a TSM fan, or I am an SSG fan, or I am a G2, and you're just that fan? Yes. But also, if you see your team play every single day, sometimes it gets tiring. I mean, tuning into an SSG versus DZ match, if it's best of one, let's say it's round uh, best of one just like Europe right now, SSG versus DZ, oh boy. And it's like, well, you know, this is the second time they played the, the each other this season because, you know, we're on the second half of it uh, and, you know, they played it. And then you know, it's just not as exciting. It's not as exciting. When you get the storylines, we were managed, we managed to draw for the rematches. We had several rematches in this first uh, stage. And the storylines we got from, the, from those rematches were super captivating and really fun. And they often ended up being uh, upsets or going the uh, uh, deviant from the initial match. So, you know, and I think that's that's exciting. It's fun. It's a, it's a storyline that can be created. A best of one, when you have that format, it just feels like, yep, yeah, this is their turn to play this team. Now it's their turn to play this other team. So X plays Y, X plays Z, X plays, you know, so on. And it, it just feels almost clinical. And there's a little bit less, there's a little bit less of a natural flow, if that makes sense, uh, from a from an organization perspective. And I think that detracts from the viewership experience. Bartosz just said that, I mean, he was doing social media, so he would know this. He said best of ones, as much as he hates to say it, mathematically are make for better viewership. Mm, it makes sense. I mean, that's one of the criticisms that we've made or at least I've made a number of times is that uh, 
there's too much siege to watch right now. I, I can't keep up to date with everything. I have to I have to go on and it's like I have to just read things and if there's any pertinent matches I'll go back and rewatch them, but it's just like I'd be spending every day off that I have off just consuming siege videos. You know, like there's there's almost too much Rainbow 6 right now. Um and then the problem is, is that it's all on the main channel. I mean, if they honestly, I think that the better thing to do is to have each of their own respective channels, but I know that that would hurt viewership and growth. Um, but best of ones, honestly, as, as much as they're not exciting, best of ones are a lot easier for me to watch. I can tune in and watch like a match or two for EU and it's fine. But watching like a gritty best of three for US division is a much larger time sink. So it's like I can kind of get it to a certain extent, especially yeah, if you just want to if you just want to pick and choose. There are days where it's like you're just not going to watch NA because you don't give a shit about any of the teams that are playing. There is one thing to consider here. NA has always had the worst times, the worst time slot in regards to like if we're talking about viewership, EU can watch uh, EU and NA can watch EU and that's yep. fine if you wake up early but NA is in the AMs for EU so if you've got a life or a job and you're living in Europe and you just can't dedicate yourself to, to watching CG Sports you aren't and those are two of the largest viewerships in English yeah. for Rainbow Six so you know when you exclude Europe from the North American viewership I'd say NA is doing very well and even if you throw that back it's the same story I, I think, um, and, and and this is another point, best of ones become fatiguing. I, and I know that it's a larger time sink for a best of three, but a best of three is an occasion. It's like a movie, right? It can, it's it's an event. You, you know that this team is playing this team and you're very excited because, oh, this is the storyline involved. And again, that selling that storyline is much easier. When it comes to best of ones, again, it's clinical. There's not much of a storyline. It's just their turn to play each other. And yes, it's less of a team speak. So for the uh, sorry, time sync. So for the casual viewer, it's a lot easier to get invested. But at the same time, there's just I don't know. I don't think that it's I don't think it's as compelling. And I think that long term, you're just going to be like, oh, they're playing each other again. You know, you do a few seasons of that back to back, and it's just okay. Big whoop. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, how are you on time, by the way, Troy? Um, I'm all right. My my scrim is in an hour and 20. It's okay. for my seven-year time. Okay. So we're just curious. What were you going to say, Troy? Sorry. Um, I mean, basically, I I feel like best of ones, like the like Kix is saying, I, I feel like it over time, yeah, it will get repetitive. It gets the vibe for me like, like regular season hockey versus like playoff hockey, right? Yeah. Just like when there's so many games, like they feel meaningless. You know what I mean? Obviously, that's not the case. Like they, they are meaningful games, and that'll still be the case with like EU and whatnot, even if they're best of one, because it's still not an absurd amount of matches. But yeah, a best of three, it just feels yeah like an event. Like Kix is saying, like uh, there's a lot more into it, like a, a lot more prep for it. I feel like. Um, because yeah, you're only playing one match a week. You're prepping more for for like you're prepping your whole week for that. Whereas in EU, right, they're playing two best of ones a week. So, and then like one one of the best of ones is like half assed prep because they didn't have as much time to prep for it, or they've half assed their first game as prep because they had to prep for the second game because it was more important. Like 
yeah, the quality of the games is is lower in that sense. And I mean, I don't think anyone is arguing that. But I do see the uh, the concern for oversaturation, like you're saying, uh, Parker. Um, I do think that can become a problem. I don't necessarily know the solution. I feel like, I guess part of the problem with it is just that we have so many regions. I guess it makes sense, like you're saying, to have separate channels for it, maybe. But I think so, because then, like... <sighs> My thing is, is if you're if you see that the Rainbow Six channel is just always on, you're less likely to watch it. Like if like yeah. that, honestly, like I, I found that with CSGO, I had to unfollow the ESGO, the ESL CSGO Twitch account because literally every single time I logged into Twitch, it's on and it's mostly just reruns. And it's like it's just taking up a space for me seeing other channels. It's like I don't want to see it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm like, this channel should only be live when it's something I care about. And I hate to say mm-hmm. it, but a lot of people aren't necessarily Rainbow Six esports fans. They're fans of regions or they're fans of teams. Or players. Or players. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're gonna check and they're gonna see, oh, twitch.tv slash rainbow six is live. Cool. Oh, it's it's W7 versus Fury. I, I don't know who they are. I'm not watching it. Yeah. And it's think- just, there's too much noise. Too much noise, and it's like but if, if I'm an if I'm an LCS fan and I see that LCS is on, oh, I'm gonna, I mean I'm going to watch that. I'm going to tune in. I know it's something I care about. Yeah, that makes sense. A, a big a big part of that issue is the difference in the formatting. Obviously, I, I, this is one of the things that has been talked about agnosium. I think since the since the, it it was announced, actually, the the fact that we have different formats for each region, it's it's all new, it's all unique for everyone really does detach them from each other and there is there's a lot of practical uh advantages to one or another and we've talked about those um but i i really i like you know for example like na you know, they're practicing best of threes constantly what do you play when you go to a land you play best of threes mm-hmm. i mean that's foosball so that's, and ping pong yeah you, everybody plays foosball and that's how we decide the world champions so the the point I'm trying to Troy's get got to a here, mean flick. He does. Yeah, and then a really great backhand. I'm as well. actually awful at foosball. So am I. Oh, I'm terrible. Awful. Did you I play when we were at that kegger? I don't even know what foosball is, I'm not gonna lie. Where? When we went to that kegger with the with the two can shirts. No. You didn't play? No, I didn't, I didn't okay. play. What is foosball? Is that the one with the It's like table soccer with the little men on the Got it, got it. Yeah. I think that the the difference in the format is the problem because you're going to have matches that you won't care about, but as long as the format remains uniform, and like if we have it on the main Rainbow Six channel, for example, then you're going to know what you're getting yourself into. It'll say the only one defining name, like that's that's key. You can only have one defining name. It's either it's either a league or it's a LAN or or something. You know, a major, but only it can only be one thing. And then you make that definition uniform throughout. And then whenever that name is in front of the Rainbow Six stream, you see that on the title, you're like, oh, I know what I'm getting myself into. But you see EUL and you see NAL, and these are very different things. And for a viewer that has a particular taste, whether they like best of ones or best of threes or a particular team or player, what have you, they're still they're going to get confused. They're going to tune in. They're going to be like, OK, hang on. What is this again? And then. And that will deter them from trying again. They'll see, they'll associate their distaste with whatever is un- not uniform, whatever is not what they like, 
with that particular name, whether it's the major or NALE or whatever, and then they just won't try that thing again. And I'm worried about that in the long term. I think that, you know, there, there's going to be identity crises with, with CG sports in the, in the, in the short term. And I, I think that's something that needs to be refined and needs to be ironed out. Um, that's just my opinion, though. I think that it's okay to have separate brands, though. I'm actually the other way where I think they should lean into it. That's the, the brands one... are fine. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's okay with like, you know, LATAM being best of twos, APAC mm. with their with their funky structure in APAC, you know, having best of ones in, in EU. I think it's okay to actually have all of that. Um, I think obviously, in my opinion, the best setting is the one that we have in North America. I'm very happy that we're doing best of threes. Um, you know, and, and honestly, it's so like a lot of people have been commending our casting so far this season saying that we have more energy. Well, no doubt we have more energy. We yeah. cast one best of three a day and we're working on normal human hours and we're working at the same time every day. Like, imagine that, like, imagine that kicks and I now are able to show more enthusiasm because we're not worried about working on two to three different time zones of which is alien from the time zone that you want to live on in the location you're in while having to do four best of ones while also doing hosting and interviewing. Like, of course we're going to have more energy. Of course we're going to be more rejuvenated and, and energized. Like it makes the most sense. Right. And uh, I've been having a blast and this is some of them, even though it's online and I, I don't like casting online at all. I don't think any caster is going to tell you they do. Even though it's online, this is some of the most fun I've ever had in Rainbow Six, period. And I can only imagine how much better it'll be when I'm in Vegas, casting out of a studio, on land, people are there, maybe an audience, we don't know, like, who knows what's going on. Like, it's going to be incredible, and I'm so pumped for that. But at the yeah. same time, I think what Rainbow Six really, what I would really like to see is I'd like to see them lean very heavily into the different identities. I'd like to see them lean into the different regions, and I would like to see them split up the channel. Keep Rainbow Six for the big events. Have every single region have its own Twitch channel. And I, and I honestly like, yeah, will it, will it probably hurt viewership? Probably at the start, yeah, because you don't have over a million people following those channels. But I think for the long-term growth of the game, I think it's good. And I mean, they'll I, probably never do it, but I, I would, I would like it if they did. I agree. I think, I think that would effectively fix the problem that I was presenting, which is again, it's the worrying about the um, what you're what you're looking at when you just see their you look you see Rainbow Six is live, you look at the title, and then you see okay, EUL, well, I don't like best of ones. NAL, well, I don't like best of threes. If you, if you divvy them up, if you give them their own channels, and then, yeah, keep... Because that was my thought. My, my first problem was, where, where who do we give Rainbow Six to? But if you don't give it to anyone, and you, again, as Parker mentioned, I'll you take keep it. it for lands. You keep it for the international I'll take it. I'll lands. Take the channel. Or you, you keep it for even just the 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 you know the mini majors or local lands, because they're, they're usually not coinciding with each other. You keep it for LAN, uh, and then you just, yeah... NAEU for for each region. I I like that idea. I like that a lot. They'll never do it, but I like. Yeah, it a lot. I don't think they'll ever do it. Uh, I would be yeah. surprised, but I mean, it works for League. Yeah, and I mean, it, yeah. it kind of works to a certain extent in CS:GO because in CS:GO, there's not one TO running it. You know, you've got Starladder, you've got DreamHack, you've got ESL, you've got Faceit. You know, you've got E League when they did theirs, and they're all pumping out content for CS:GO. You know, they've got all got their respective channels. They've all got their own way of doing it. They've got maybe different 
maybe different uh, styles of the way that they conduct the tournaments. Blast, for example, versus the way that ESL does it. So, like, I think that would probably be ideal, but numbers ultimately are the bottom line, and I think it would hurt viewership to do that because it would definitely be a it would be a fresh start. But I think if there's a time to do it, it would have been a couple months ago. But that's what I think. Um, I have a question, by the way, from my mother. Who says, how much time do you spend reviewing your notes on various teams before casting their matches? And what kind of stats do you keep on them? Is it for me? Yes. Okay. No, it's for um, Panky. Uh, so, well, you know, I don't know if you're like, if you wanted to jump into it. I'll answer after. Sure. Why not? But it's okay. for you. Um, you're the star. So basically, when it comes to stats, I use siege.gg. Um, they provide, thankfully, provide stats on pretty much all major anything. Um, there's always fun little tidbits they'll give you too. If you're working with Spencer on a LAN or Spleck, as most people know him, he's almost always at the LAN and he will almost always give you like, oh, this is the first time that they've done this or, uh, these teams have never played each other or it's been two years since this happened. You know, like he gives you a lot of those little tidbits if we're talking about like prep. Uh, in terms of stats, again, that's all CGG. They keep track of all that stuff. There was a period of time where stat collection was actually done by the casters. We tried to do some. Then there was a period of time where ESL was doing some of the, the stat collection. When it was the casters, it was pretty bad. When it was ESL, it got better. And I think it's been it's being perfected right now by CGG. You know, like keeping in mind, you know, they do it all outside of API. You know, this is all manual work that uh, these guys are doing. When it comes to how much time I spend. Uh, prepping for a match, uh, I don't really know that I measure it. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not, I don't keep track of it. To be honest with you, it's just like you do research on the teams. Okay, what have they been doing recently? Um, one thing that's interesting, I will say, if you're differing prepping for a match in Siege versus prepping in a match for a different game, a different esport, is that because most of our stuff becomes outdated in like two to three months at most. Um, you're really, a lot of your prep is in like immediate, what, what do they just do? What were they doing a few weeks ago? What were they doing at most like two months ago? And then maybe on top of that tag on their last LAN results, if it's really far back. Those are, those are the things you keep in like your, in your mind when you're casting teams and you, you're matching them up against each other. You can look really far back. And in like, sometimes we did have periods where we did do that with like G2, for example, because we're talking about the the lineage, the dynasty, you know, the history. Lineage is not the right word, but you know what I mean. It's it's the it's the long term for them, but we don't really have that anymore for the most the part. Lineage. Say. And we, we do talk about it with, with some teams occasionally. It really just depends on the, like the caliber of the match. And you know, like if we're doing the invitational final, we're we're, we're going into every little nook yeah. and cranny we can find about our our teams. If we're doing a regular NAL broadcast for for each of the teams i think it's like yeah it's just it's just all we pretty much spend like most of the day prepping uh, and then the day before usually we'll we'll start getting a like a kind of a map for what we're going to try and sell as a storyline um but yeah that's where i was talking about that with oh, sorry i hit my mic i was talking about when when uh we were discussing bloodbath earlier that's where a lot of casting work gets done yeah um same for me it depends on the team if it's two teams I know fairly well and it's just like another play day online, maybe like pull their map stats, player stats. Yeah. 
previous matchups like that's it because you don't really need and especially for us now as casters a lot of that work is now done by the analyst desk and not by us anymore not that we don't need to be prepared for it and to talk about it in the match because i think it's good if we need to fill i think it's nice to have those little flourishes when you know you can you can talk about oh such and such player got their 50th kill of the season you know oh so and so is like the highest rated player oh you know this is this is the you know the they haven't they haven't been bad on this map and now they are currently bad on this map. So, but you know, it depends on the teams. There are definitely teams that I know better. Uh, LATAM, for example, the bottom four LATAM teams usually required a lot more work for me than if I'm going into yeah. cast phase versus liquid. I don't need to do a ton of prep work on that. I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with their stats and all that jazz. And then there are times where it's just like some of the, th- some of the things you want to know, you can't like research, like how much a certain team has like trailed in the season, like, you know, oh, so-and-so loses the first two to three rounds of every game and then they storm back. Like that's pretty, that's a, that's a harder stat to have at your fingertips. Um, and there are times where I think we both messaged Spleck throughout the course of a broadcast or somebody at CGG and been like, hey, can you pull stats for this? Because I want to talk about it and I just want to make sure that I'm right. Um, at a LAN event, and typically I'll spend about an hour before I go to bed going over the match that I do first the next day. Um, this will usually involve pulling all of their stats for the event, compiling them uh, if they've matched up ever before, uh, key players to watch, uh, successes on attack versus defense, uh, how proficient they are at getting the diffuser down versus, you know, how good are they at getting opening picks, Um you know, what operators they usually ban, what maps they usually ban, etc. And then having all of that available. Uh, but you you tend to provide a lot more comprehensive stats for LAN events. Online, I mean, is smaller. It's still, it still matters, but obviously it's smaller potatoes. So you want to have your, your basics down. You don't want to be going in being like talking up. And I've done this before. I definitely have. There have been times where it's like I haven't done as much prep as I need to. And I'll be like, I feel like this team's really good on Oregon. And then their record on Oregon is like three and 18 over the last year. You know, it definitely happens. Um, But for me, yeah, it's usually about online. We usually do stats and we usually do some some chatting with the analysts and rehearsals, which is a couple hours before the show. And then, you know, I'll take stats down while we're doing the, the, usually the screen will be up waiting to go in at live events. It's usually a couple hours, I would say each day. So. Yeah. Yes, that's about right. Troy, do you have a question? Hmm. No. Oh, well, another one from the, from the list. Yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say, Michael? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. It wasn't anything important. I was just going to affirm what you said. The, 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 the hour assessment sounds about right. Got it. Um, it's kind of in and out, you know. That's I think the biggest thing with the prep. It's it's in and out. You you're doing it right now, and then you're wait a second, and then you're doing it again. Yeah, I think that's very oh. true. It, and like I said, it also depends. Like it, for live events, uh, I think we casted Nip. I think we casted every single Nip game at the Paris Major, and I think we did the <laughs> same. I think we casted every Nip game at SI twenty twenty. Conspiracy. And it's just like, you don't really need to prep if you like, I mean, you, there are certain things you need to prep, but for the most part, if you have a good enough memory and you're actually paying attention during the matches, you don't need to, you don't need to do that much work after. I think for, uh, for any of the teams that are expect, if we're going to talk about a land event Mm -hmm. for any of the teams that are expected to win the land event, the majority of the prep work is already done just by following them. 
know, you're trying to, you're trying to, you're watching all their matches. You're seeing, you're trying to get things, even in the matches you're not casting, you're trying to understand what they're doing so that you can then apply it to your cast later when you know you're going to cast them. Um, the upset teams, as Parker mentioned, and or like the lower four teams in LATAM, that requires a lot more actual research. We're talking about, you know, going out of our way to talk to the, to, to coaches who, you know, in LATAM specifically, you have to talk to the coaches because most of them will speak English. Mm-hmm. And and then you try to get as much information out of them. You know what are what are the roles of these players and such and such and such. But yeah, anyway, we've we've been on this topic for a while. It's it's a complicated one, but it's it's one that it does get a lot of work put into. Yeah, sorry about that, Troy. Question. You're good. I was gonna ask. Um, just kicks mentioned it earlier. I guess it applies to both of you. But you mentioned like you have to take care of your throat and your voice, and I'm kind of curious about this. How do you guys take care of that? Uh, I for don't. Me, you don't for me i've been trying to cut out as much as i can um things that are like liquids that are gonna like potentially could cause damage um or like even are just unhealthy things like soda for example mm-hmm. try not to drink soda the other thing that i do is lots of warm liquids uh yeah. i drink a ton of warm if you're if you're doing a cast hot water it doesn't matter get something hot down your throat you know like it if it's you if it could be tea cool great good for you but mostly it's just like, yeah, keep keep yourself hydrated, tons of water, it, you know, and keep your keep your throat warm. Uh, and yeah, if you start casting the ups and the downs, it's like uh, it's like working out. You don't want to just go and then stop and then wait and then go again. Like you want to mm-hmm. you want to keep it uh, as like structured as possible. If you're using your voice, use your voice, pace yourself and then try to just like curve it down don't like fall off a cliff mm-hmm. um and then uh yeah it's it's also about moderation if you're doing a best of five for example don't don't go crazy all the time yeah it, unless it really merits it like unless there's a clutch that's a 1v5 and he's going and saying blah, blah blah you know then just yeah maybe maybe tone it down a little bit for a best of five or if you have a really long day ahead of you tone it tone it down a little bit it tends to be at LAN events when we're asked to do more and the matches are way more exciting. Those kinds at LAN events, we usually blow out our throats. We, we, uh, at the end of a LAN event, I tend not to talk very much because my voice is normally gone mm-hmm. because you, you don't get either very long and understandably, you know, we can tone it down. You can't tone down at a LAN. And so it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it depends on the scenario. You just got to gauge it for yourself and you figure it out as you go. Okay. Uh, hot showers work really well in the morning. Um, the, the worst is Montreal because it's really dry. Um, I've been reading a lot of casters saying that they travel with portable humidifiers and they put it next to their bed. Um, and they say that it makes a world of difference. Um, no idea if that's true. I'm going to have to try it. Um, but try it here. It's dry as hell here. Oh, joy. Oh, um, yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple things to avoid. Any form of caffeine can dehydrate your throat. Alcohol dehydrates your throat. Um, repeated strain. The other thing that a lot of people need to keep in mind is that it's not necessarily the events that are killing your throat. How many people that are watching now have gone to a noisy bar, even for like two or three hours, had a couple drinks. You're talking like this because you can't hear over the music. And then the next morning you wake up and your throat hurts. Right. And now imagine 
that all of that is happening in like a relatively drier environment and you also have to work where you're shouting. Um, the other thing too that a lot of casters don't think about is dialing in the volume on your headset. Headsets provide feedback so you can hear yourself. If you don't have that set properly, you might be shouting and you won't even know. So it's like making sure that you... I like to crank the volumes down really, really low so that when like, so kicks will be quiet in my headset and so will the game sounds, but I can hear my own volume really, really well. Because if your volume in your headset's really, really loud, it only stands to reason that you're going to be talking loud to try and match that and you might be blowing out your throat and uh, and, and, and your vocal cords and not even knowing about it. Um... But all those things kind of go together. Drink lots of tea. For me, I used to consume a lot of honey. Can't really do that anymore. Um, so for me, it's just like lots of hot water. Only problem with lots of hot water is that eventually you'll reach a breaking point where you're drinking so much hot water, you have to pee every 20 minutes. And when matches are usually like 45 to 50 minutes plus, especially on land, if there's unlimited OT, have fun. <laughs> there have been times where it's like literally I'll finish up a cast and I'll throw the headset down as they go to the analyst desk and I'll have to sprint to the bathroom because it's just like you've got six cups of hot water running through you and you gotta pee and you just you, it, you gotta I've had to do that before after a match yeah just break just full sprint to the bathroom yeah yeah I, I've had to I've had on the other side there's Sometimes you'll you'll finish a match and you'll go straight to the the one dark corner at the LAN event that you know of. And you're like, I, I could nap on that table. Well, I thought you were going to say I, you're going to pee in the corner. And I'm like, what the? No, no. <laughs> you go to the dark uh, corner and just you just pee. Remember the Rio finals or major or whatever that was? The one in Rio, right? Where we were mm -hmm. casting in like the in the corner. Remember that, Parker? Yeah, we were casting in like the bunker underneath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're uh, sleeping I, in it. You're sleeping on the yeah, desk. I was sleeping on a desk. Yeah, I, that was when I learned to nap because I before then I wasn't very good at it. But that that land event, I really had to learn. There was it was that was a particularly go go land event. I barely it's such a blur in my head. I barely remember it to be honest. It was so high octane. Troy remembers time. that event. What happened at that event? Who won? What was it? G two won. EG may have lost to Fnatic. Oh, that one. Yeah, with the coach. With the coach. Yeah, this little yeah. Later, I remember. No, it, it happens. Does. It happens. I mean, does it happen? It did happen. It's not supposed to happen. I mean, we went to, <laughs> we got Brazilian steakhouse. We went to Fogo de Chao we in did. Rio. I feel like that's a bucket list item. And it was delicious. Is that, is that the thing where they like let you do certain cuts of meat and stuff? Yeah, they just bring a skewer of animal. And then I you did just that. get, oh. It was really fun, yeah. So good. I did it with uh, Marcella. It was a great time. So good. Brazil's fun for a lot of things, man. I like Brazil. I want to go back sometime. Um, Troy, do you have... Oh, you just asked that question, so I guess it's my turn. Um, let's yeah. do like one or two more questions and we'll wrap up. All right. Um, a lot of these questions that were asked have already been touched upon. A lot of things like why in tarot, that's already been answered. A couple of them about bloodbath. Obviously, people want to know about that. I feel like with the bloodbath thing that a lot of people thought that there was like a bunch more insidious nonsense that went down when in all reality it was like not at all. Pretty much. Pretty yeah, mundane, it was just yeah. kind of like you didn't like working with them. Not many people did. 
he didn't end up he found himself on the outs because he didn't have a duo and that was that um yeah. uh keg had a couple questions and i wanted to hit on one of them um uh, uh since intero came onto the scene there have been very little instances of either of you casting without one another do you wish on a personal or professional level that you could try casting with another caster in the scene if so who and why Mm. Uh, well, it, I like casting with Parker. Parker is my duo, and I want to keep casting with Parker. Like, to, to be honest with you, uh, I want to perfect that. I feel like we haven't yet. Um, we're, we're always going to keep improving one little step at a time. Uh, I want to keep working on that. But uh, if, is there anyone in particular in the scene that I want to cast with? Um, I, honestly, I don't mind casting with any of them i like casting with most of them and i don't know if there's anyone that i want to cast i like to cast with the new ones with the ones that i haven't casted with yet you know like i, I always like to because you, you kind of it's the same thing as when you're a player when you're when you're a player and you hear about other players uh and you see other players perform and you can see their stats and stuff there's sort of like a sense of oh, that player is really good. Or you played against that player and he he beat you in a fight or something and you're like, oh, that player is really good. But until you've actually played on a team with that player, you don't know how they are as a teammate. You don't know what it's like to play on a squad with them. You don't know how you're going to feel about that. So um, it's kind of the same for casting. I'd like to, like, obviously, you know, get get to know all the other casters a little bit better because I, I you know, one thing that maybe isn't talked about at length uh, is that the casting scene in Rainbow Six is it, like we're all friends, you know, like everybody's really chill with each other. Uh, the, we were talking about how it's yeah, it's a competitive thing earlier in the podcast, but certainly I think within Siege, it's it's a pet, it's a competitive thing with enough of a gate that everyone involved is is pretty comfortable and at the same time more than happy to work with each other. And there's a lot of support from each other to uh, you know other casters. I don't know. I like to. I like to. I like to cast with the other guys, I, with the people that I haven't casted with, guys and gals, uh, with the people I haven't casted with yet. That's it. I like to cast with Ace. There's my answer. Okay. I don't want to cast. There's his answer. There's Troy's wanna, answer. I yeah. Playing. He's gonna keep playing. Look at that. No, I want to do. Actually, I want to do one of those. I don't know. I don't even know what to call them. The qualifier the fucking, cast that we do? Yeah, one of the qualifier casts again. I mean, one. the problem is is that we only have one option to do those now, which is I the know. SI, but I mean, are we going to be casting them? That's the real question. I know. I know. That's what I want to do again, though. Those and are fun. We used to have two chances a year, and now I think we're just going to have one for SI, for the four teams that play in through qualifiers. But I mean, well, I might be casting it with kicks. I don't know. We what are we doing? Those, like events like that for fun, like, like the Beyond the Summit events. We need one of those. I want to do Beyond the Summit. Beyond the Summit. If you're listening, please. Yes, please. Please. I will cast and play. What are we talking about? Like events with uh, just like a more casual, laid back cast with just like oh. pro players involved with it and stuff. Yeah, we could we could do that. I think the siege needs more of that. There's. A... At the in the early stages, there was a really big push for professionalism, um, because as there should have been, be, 
as there should yes. have been because yes. the scene wanted to be taken seriously uh and obviously still there's work to be done there uh you know give it time but there are there there i think for the diehards and for the the people who have been immersed in the scene for a long time it, they could do with some some brevity some yeah. you know some jovial casting i agree with that I mean, there's there's a reason why I, so there's an astonishing number of people that are they wait for qualifier season for us to do those dumbass casts where it's just we crack jokes and just watch teams play and some teams don't play well. And it's yep. always a good time, you know, and yep. they were honestly, they were some of my favorite parts of the season. Yes. Hands down, some of my favorite parts of the season. It's so, a lot of fun. Yeah. 100 apes. Uh, I'd love to do them next time you guys do. You did the one that one time with Lonnie Lightning, which still remains one of the most... Yeah, it was fun, yeah. Outstanding. I know I know I'm like, I'm really dry. Like, my humor is super dry. Uh, and I often am called humorless. But I think that sometimes when you contrast that with hilarious people, it actually is, can be good. Yes. And yeah. I, I'm, I, I am plenty happy to be that guy that people you know not necessarily make jokes about but like throw the jokes off of you know you play yeah. the straight man you play the guy who doesn't yeah. give a reaction and that's but like I, the humor in it and I, people I don't, don't get it. that and people are like kicks is so annoyed kicks is so angry kicks doesn't get humor and it's like you don't get humor because he's playing a part like people don't fucking get it. get it dude um that's you know, and yeah, I'm I'm happy to be that guy. I just um I think it 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 can it can add to the situation, but it requires other people like Parker, you know, uh, or all the players who you know to be actually funny, you know, and to fill that role. And I think that uh, you you guys do really good at that. It requires people to bounce off that style of humor. That's yeah. all, because if you just go into it like normal and you know, you try to mix certain humor. It's like oil and water. It just doesn't work. You have to be corny to get the most out of your humor. And that's why it always, it always like hurts my heart when I go back and I'll rewatch like certain VODs or stuff like that. And people be like, Kix is so annoyed. Like Intero says something dumb and just like Kix is so angry. And it's like, do, do people not interact with other humans? I have only been angry at Parker when it comes to casting. Like I want to say once. And I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember it either. I'm saying once to be conservative. To like, I'm sure there was an instance. Yeah. I remember when I was angry at Parker's casting. Oh, no. He called Lobby an unconventional site on consulate. Oh, fucking this oh. again. <laughs> <laughs> it was the uh, least played site on the map. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. It's now one of the most. He was like, he was streaming and he's like, I got beef with you. And I was in his stream and he's like, you keep saying that Lobby's an unconventional bomb site for consulate. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a two site rotation at this point. Teams are spamming upstairs and garage over and over and over again. If you see Lobby, it's kind of weird. And you're like, well, it's not kind of weird. Actually, teams teams need to be prepared for every site and it's good to throw a curveball. And I was just like, oh, my God, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've actually ever been angry at parker but i don't know it's it's hard to remember all of it we've been casting together for a long time now i'm sure there's there's been there's been times where we've had like hiccups or like we've talked about feedback after casts and i'm sure both of us haven't been super receptive of it and i mean it happens yep. but at the end of the day like that's gonna happen everywhere i would be more surprised if after three years we had never had a run-in like that would be more surprising so 
there's been yeah i think there's been like there's been instances where we're, we're on the note of feedback because we, we we always try to give each other feedback uh we're like sometimes he'll give feedback and i won't be receptive or i'll give feedback and he won't be receptive but i think once <clears throat> for both of us as if if it's ever um and, and this is generally always corrected in the long term but for both of us whenever that feedback it, when it still be is necessary when it gets elevated from just like the oh hey we shouldn't do this or hey maybe that um and when it gets elevated from that to that dude this is kind of like a big deal uh it always gets it always gets like ironed out we've you know and there's oh you know you're gonna have those i think when you when you're working together for a really long time yep um but it's like they, they, they we've never had any kind of insurmountable issue I would rather us address it as it comes up than just eventually wear at each other until the point where we just can't cast anymore because there's too much unspoken resentment. Yeah. Right? And that does right. happen. That does happen. I mean, that, yeah. yeah. That's the case with, with any sort of relationship and uh, pleasant teams. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. the time. And that's, that's usually when teams make roster changes is that there is that unspoken resentment and it just happens and it never even got brought up and fixed. That's why I like, I, I acknowledge it. And like when or say when teams like get past this, like three month period or something like it's like three or six months, I'd say if they keep the roster for that long, like, you know, they're like an actual team. I feel like, I feel like before then they're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. There's never going to be a scenario where you perfectly align. I don't believe it yeah. exists. Strife and conflict, no matter how small, will always be there. And it will get small, small things will become much bigger deals, you know, when you just get comfortable with somebody. It's mm -hmm. going to happen. You know, yeah. I remember I remember Kix and I got into a fight over in Brazil when he used the word circumventilate. And I was like, that's not a word. And he was like... Yeah. And then there was there was one time where I used a word one way and Kix was like, that's not how you use it. And we got into like a long drawn out fight where we're both like frantically Googling on our phones to like try and justify our positions. I don't remember what the word was. Now, I can't now remember you, it either. You was, remember my word, but I don't I didn't remember your word. Well, I just because I remember circumventilate because I remember Milos used it to make fun of you <sighs> and you didn't get that he was using it wrong. And you're like, you just kind of looked at him and Milos was like, it's not a real word. Mm hmm. Yeah, I remember that. You know, you learn sometimes. I and then I used a word once, and then you you I remember came at me for it, and you're like, it's just like when I use circumventilate, it's not real. And I was like, it is a real word. I can't remember what word it was. Anyway, I don't use it anymore, obviously. So it was it was it was some non non word. Yeah, that, you, you said know, that I would, it used it wrong. Sometimes I can't remember what you know, you know, this is actually a fun fun thing though. Uh, sometimes you have to be. I'm trying to remember what the contrast to pragmatic is. I think it's like enigmatic or something. But um, sometimes you need to be pragmatic with the uh, intention of the word. And obviously, mm -hmm. our job is to be as accurate as possible and to be like, to have a vocabulary that's polished to, you know, a fine point. And we're all going to make mistakes, though. And the, again, the, the pragmatic nature of, of casting or even listening or just this whole thing, it's just like, listen for the intent behind the word. Listen for the like, what are they trying to say? I think yeah. that's most important. And and people who hold people who like who are always looking at the literal meaning of the word and they're not like actually trying to, okay, well, he means this, but he's saying that. I mean, I, I do that. I do that mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but you know, it's it is gonna hamper the enjoyment. So if you're if you're trying to have fun, if you're trying to like enjoy a product, sometimes just be pragmatic about it. Um 
but yes, no, it's something that it's something that we're always trying to improve upon. There's, you know, we all we've all made mistakes with our words for. All right, Troy, do you was that I, I think that was my it. question that I asked about who'd you like to cast with? So you get yeah. take take the final take the, the final, final question. One. The final one. All right. So it's a good one for me to ask. Uh I, I tweet about this kind of stuff a lot. Favorite inspirational quotes. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Oh. Um You were you didn't see that coming, huh? Oh so... This is well, right up my alley. Coach quotes. We yep. already we already said one. I, mean, my, my, I, I, I figured, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I guess, unoriginal and boring. That would be I pretty mean, much the only one I have. The failure is the mother to success. I think that's a reliable, like, I don't live by it. Um, it's just one that always comes back into my head. It's like, yeah. okay, I messed this up. Now, how do I make it better? I don't think... I don't think you should like give yourself shit for it saying it's boring though. Like I think I think it's truly effective. Like even if you only have like one quote that's like that, I feel like it's like it shows that it's truly effective if it keeps coming up. Like you right. literally brought it up just in conversation, like not prompted or anything. So I think that show shows something there. And yeah. I think it's a good quote. Yeah, it's a solid one. Your turn, Parker. My favorite quote of all time that I paraphrase, and it's funny because I'm pretty sure Rob Walker used it in his Behind the Siege video, which is, society grows great when old men plant trees whose shades they know they'll never sit in. I've heard that. Oh, I get it, because they, they're sowing the seeds for the future, but yeah. they know they're not going to sit thinking in that. About, they're thinking about the future, yeah. not themselves. Yeah. I, think that, I think that guides a lot of my philosophy where it's there are things that i think that i and others and and we should do that does not benefit us and that if we stop being so short-sighted that things will be drastically better but there is a very pervasive belief that we do things for ourselves often at the expense of those that come after us and i think that that's selfish and wrong so well assessed what about you, Mr. Coach Quotes? I got a, I got a couple, but um, well, I guess should I? Do I have to pick one? I don't. What do you mean? So, this no. is your question. You can go wild You're setting on it. up your own it, parameters. It was, it was, uh, it was plural. Okay, so I mean, one, one that's uh, really, I guess that I hold dear, and I, it, I was kind of recently put on it a couple of years ago. Um, but the man in the arena quote by uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Didn't Zeronic I, just tweet that? Did he? I think he I know, just tweeted I know, that. I know someone, I know DPZ from Dark Zero tweeted it the other day. I, or the other day. Like a I guess Warren Zeronic tweeted it as well. It. Zach Did has he? some good ones. I, I, I love that one though. I think it's an important one to remind myself of. And I think it, it actually helped me like to remind myself of it in some situations. So... That's one. Um, and then there's there's another one that I, uh, I'll paraphrase here. Um, it's from, I believe it's Vince Lombardi? No, this one might be. The Lombardi let me, Trophy. Let me just, I was named me, after a trophy. Can you believe that? <laughs> um, but it's basically, uh, if you cheat yourself in practice, or let me find, let me find the exact one, man. Because I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up. It's, 
basically okay if you cheat yourself your practice uh you'll cheat yourself in a game and you'll cheat your if you cheat yourself in a game you'll cheat for yourself for the rest of your life um right i think that's that's an important one to remind yourself of like literally every t- I, I i remind myself of it like every time i like consider like slacking or like getting lazy like when i know i shouldn't i just instantly in my head i just hear don't fucking start that like don't start cheating yourself and just reminding yourself like to to stay on the right path and and not to build that bad habit um and then there's another one uh it's one my dad is i think it's my dad's favorite quote the wall yeah i think it's his favorite quote that he uh he's gonna love this part he always mentions this one's the lombardi quote and it's uh either be fired you'll either be fired with enthusiasm or you'll be fired with enthusiasm (laughs) and uh I mean, I, I I love that one, and I think people people can kind of see that with me uh, when I'm in game. I mean, I I get into it because I mean, you just you got it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's contagious. But yeah, those those last two really hit the same note. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. those are so, good. I like yeah. those. Uh, for everybody that's watching this on YouTube, by the way, what's your favorite coach quote? motivational quote put it down in the comments below by the way there's our daily chat interaction just for everybody who later watches this that's a good one um you know you know how i avoid slacking how just never stopping Mm. you're like the energizer buddy if you make no but if, if you make it like if you make it like the only thing you're doing or the only thing you're thinking about then it's hard to slack because you like it it is your slack it's like you know it's like you just wake up and that's what you're you're thinking about. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I, it, it's build it, it, it again is like building that habit, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the habits. That's that's and, what it is. Yeah, and that's the, the most important thing is that yeah, like reminding yourself basically not to cheat for like that first time yeah. because if you do, that'll start to build that habit, and yep. then and then all of a sudden you'll be in the uh, the opposite position, right? Yeah. All right. Well, with that said. Um, I don't, I, I think we hit, it is 6.30 here. We hit the four hour mark, which is absolutely insane. But I figured would happen with Michael, who's for some reason, uh, puzzlingly, his webcam has gone out of sync a number of times. It looks like mine has as well. I think Troy's is the only one that hasn't. Um, well, the software we're using to get that webcam yeah. up there is rather old. So. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't really have an, an easier way a lot of times, but I can go out of sync. Um, it looks to be relatively fixed now, but we'll we'll sort it out later on down the road. Anyway, uh, I appreciate you coming on here. Where can we find you? Plug yourself. What's your what are your socials, etc.? Uh, it's at Kickstar TV on Twitter and my Instagram is the same, but uh, I don't use I don't really upload to YouTube anymore. My Twitch is just Kickstar, and that's it. There you go. And he does stream. He does have a charm, by the way, if you're watching this. He has a charm in the game, so if you subscribe to him on Twitch.tv and you have your accounts linked, you'll also get his charm. Also, hello, Young. Young just showed up and said, uh, great episode, really love this one. I don't know if he's kidding or if he just got here, but... It's good to see you, Young. I think he actually enjoyed it, but he's also being sarcastic because that's his sense of humor. <laughs> Sounds about right for him. It's a bit of both. Well, with that said, uh, that's the end of our 10th episode. We were, uh, we got a lot of feedback 
about it being too long when we talked about maybe cutting it down because some people had reached out and said, maybe, can you make it like two hours? Overwhelming consensus was no, keep it as long as you need it to put timestamps if people really want. And I mean, I think that's fine. If people don't want to go over certain topics and that's okay, that's exactly what the timestamps are for. And then obviously that's the Zantu who does the timestamps. So thank you very much. Anyway, with that said, uh, that's our 10th episode. I can't believe we've done this now for two and a half months. This is, this is insane. The support's been very wild. Impressive. It's very impressive. This has been a long-term commitment. So I'm, uh, I've enjoyed the hell out of it and hopefully everybody else has liked it as well. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be live next Sunday. The goal is to just keep these going. There might be an off season. We might we're, do it during the off season. There's going to be a Sunday. We're going to have to take off. Yeah. For off. the major. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know exactly when that is yet. So we'll, we'll update you when we know, uh, for everybody that's watching, there's been a lot of people, by the way, that have been commenting on the YouTube video being like, could you please do timestamps? when the timestamps are in the description and also on the video. So I don't know how much more clear we can make it for people. But anyway, there's there. Are I didn't stamps. even notice that thing about YouTube before the timestamps in the video. Yeah, it's literally on the little bar as you're yeah, trying to feature. Yeah. I think I think Luke showed it to me. And I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's He's like, did convenient. you know they do this? And I was like, nope, no idea. I, I honestly, I, and then there's every single, every single episode, there's somebody being like, can you please put timestamps? And it's like, we do literally every episode. I don't know how to help you more than I've already helped you, but. And if you want, you can join the discord and you can read Wally's checklist. He does it himself. Video. I'll make sure that I actually put a discord link in the video this time. Cause I forgot last time. So. I'm, I'm bad at that. Anyway, thank you everybody for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Make sure that you follow Kickstar on all of his socials, all of his relevant socials, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for watching.